I like to move it, move it. I like to move it, move it. I like to move it, move it. You like to move it. I like to move it, move it. I like to move it, move it. I like to move it, move it. You like to move it. I like to move it, move it. I like to move it, move it. I like to move it, move it. You like to move Good day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to I Like To Movie Movie. My name is Dan Scully, and I want to thank you guys all for allowing me a short break while I get my fucking shit together. Uh, as always, make sure that you like, subscribe, tell your friends all about the podcast. It is available at Movie Movie Cast on all of the things. It's part of the Movie John Podcast Network. And if you want to check out all of that under one roof, you can just go to my website, scullyvision.com. It is a wonderful way for me to stroke my ego. Now, anyone who's been uh, paying attention to the social media knows that we have a very special episode with a very funny backstory. Uh, we are going to be doing as much of the Lethal Weapon series in one episode, potentially two, as possible. And with me to do that is comedian extraordinaire, host of the Them Boys podcast, uh, one of my oldest friends in the world. Welcome to the show, Mr. Alex Perlman. Yeah, I'm, we're such old friends that he doesn't even know I retired from comedy. I mean, I've, I've retired from comedy, so I'm out of the loop. You're, I know. Still, you're still one of the funniest people I know. And even if oh. you're not a paid comedian, you're functionally go. a funny presence that exists in this world. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a retired comedian, uh, probably the funniest banker on earth. That's there basically my way of doing it. Uh, yeah, no, it's great to be on the show. Uh, I'm very excited for this. As Dan was saying, um, some funny backstory about this was I... Uh, my sister pays for the Peacock Network, you know, NBC's network. And on there, they have like different channels you can watch. Um, and so I was going through it the one day and it was like Lethal Weapon 1. And I st started watching Lethal Weapon 1. I realized I'd never actually seen it. Watched the entire movie. Thought, oh, that was pretty good. Texted Dan because whenever I have a movie I've seen where I have no other context to text anyone else, I will usually reach out to Dan to be like, Hey, I saw this movie and he'll be like, yeah, I, I've seen it. I own it on Laserdisc. And I'm like, okay, yeah. great. And then he was like, Hey, you should come on the, we should, we should record all of them and you should come on the podcast. Here's a date. We'll do it all. And I said, awesome. And this is back in December of 2001 or 2021. This is a long time ago. Long, 20 years ago. Okay. 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 And, uh, and then uh, I sat down and for the next three weeks, each week dedicated an entire week to watching a lethal weapon took copious notes texted dan texted me regular during, updates yeah regular updates during and after each movie finished lethal weapon four text him said all right man i think i'm finally ready to do this cast when do you want to like what time do you want me to come over for this date that i have in my calendar i was like what date <laughs> <laughs> no idea what I'm talking about. And I'm like, Dan, I've been texting you a lethal weapon. He just replied, I thought you just really liked the movies. And I was no, like, I, I thought, I thought that we were eventually going to do a pod and you were just excited. So I was so charmed by it because I was like, oh, we can schedule this whenever. Completely forgot that I put a date out there because yep. my brain is rotting. I smoke too much weed and yep. I have had a very wild year in terms of uh, that great phrase, mental health. Yeah. So uh, it's been all over the place, but I take full responsibility. I completely fucking forgot. And so really quick managed to squeeze all four of these movies into about a week and a half. Which and now we're going to do it. 
which has been a trip actually, because you've now been sending me texts while yes. watching them, which is actually, because now I've actually, I'm at a month out from having watched all four. <laughs> so you've let them bake in your head a little <laughs> So they bake. So now I'm like slowly, like most people, when they think of the Lethal Weapon franchise, I'm having more and more rose-tinted glasses looking back on them because I'm like, well, maybe it's not as bad. And then I start reading through my notes and I'm like, no, this is probably the most racist thing I've ever seen. It's this psychotic. Is, it, it's insane. It's insane. The entire, the, the thing is, is the first movie, much like the Rambo series, the first movie has merit. Yeah. And then, and then they're like, someone does a rail of Coke and then proceeds to go, all right, why did that make money? And then they just pick yep. random scenes and they and said that had to be the reason. I will say that in hindsight, we do look at back, look back at the stuff and cringe, but in hindsight, I cannot... I can't refute the decisions of whatever powerful pr producer alongside Joel Silver was making these decisions because the proof is in the pudding. These movies, despite being chock full of problematic faves, is an iconic and, and unforgettable legendary series. Yeah. It's, it's the baseline for most other action comedy movies. Everybody like, cop movie. Everybody I mean, cop movie. We could always go back to Midnight Run. But when it comes to like buddy cops as a brand, Lethal Weapon's really the thing. Yeah, especially that, especially that kind of um, what's what's the what's that old '60s show where it's the two roommates and they like paint a line down the room where they don't quite get along. What's oh, um, it's uh, every sitcom ever did that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I was gonna say Perfect Strangers, but that sort of thing where yeah. the one guy's I'm a loose cannon, the other guy's like I'm just trying to get through oh, my day, like a uh, odd couple. Odd couple, yeah. Odd, so couple, odd couple, yeah. Buddy cop movie. Speaking of odd couple, buddy cop movie. Yes, yeah, so are we going into a plug? Yes, I, I am going to make into sure a plug. before we go into this. Yeah, um, I do want to plug in. The reason why, other reason I'm doing this is because uh, my co-host for the Buddy Cop Project, that is my podcast, Them Boys, which is uh, a really which, good podcast. I don't is, typically listen to friends' podcasts, but I do regularly tune into yours. I enjoy it. Thank you, thank yeah. you. It's good to know. I. We it's it's a um the best way to describe it is um do you guys know how like every shitty comedian has some weird podcast where they talk about like politics and cancel culture and inevitably they end up really far right? Well, imagine that for <laughs> a softer side of people. People yeah. who like to wear like cardigan sweaters, they listen to a weird mix of lo-fi and folk music. Um, and then they you know they go to the they go to a protest uh to not be violent but try to end violence. Yeah, that's we're a, that's what, it's that's a, what them boys podcast is kind of about. Dad age no kids could have been the other name of this is dad oh, age yeah. no kids. Yeah, yes, that's yeah. I do find yeah. it funny that it is we're here to promote that Satoyo, your co-host, yes. is uh doing his album recording at yes. Helium in yes. a couple weeks, and you can get mm -hmm. tickets to that. And he was not even considered to be invited onto this recording at no. all. No, no, I have been on multiple podcasts now to promote his show. Because um, <laughs> here's the thing. So when I did comedy for 18 years or whatever it was, I was terrible about promoting my own shit. I was never good at it. I always felt like if I was good, the crowd would come to me. I've learned over time yeah. that uh, people who are not good at doing comedy are very good at self-promotion. So uh, Satoyo is very, very good at comedy. He is not great at self-promotion. So I want to come on things and tell people, this man is funny. He has the Alex Perlman stamp of approval. Um, he is, uh, according to Helium's bio for him, he is the co-host of the Them Boys podcast, therefore finally making me officially the host of the Them Boys podcast. <laughs> Fuck it. If you want to see him live, see this album taping, see a great show, I am not any way involved with this. 
Um, I will not be on stage. I will be in the audience. I'll be sitting with Satoyo's mom. She's driving all the way from here from Ohio to watch this. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, you can go to philadelphia.heliumcomedy.com slash shows slash 158383, or you can try to figure out how to spell Satoyo. Uh, Anyway, he's going to be on Helium uh, Helium in Philadelphia on February 16th, uh, 2022. Show starts at 8 p.m. That means, I guess, doors at like 7-ish. Uh, right now, it looks like there's still some $10 and $20 tickets um, for those general and limited seats. Uh, so go check it out. It's going to be a really, really good show. If you want to know what a taste of his comedy is like, imagine someone who lotions really well and wears sleeveless long cardigans. I love that lotion has become his legacy because that is it like is. the first thing that I learned about Satoyo. <laughs> first thing we ever had a conversation about and yeah. the first bit that I ever heard him do. And yeah. to credit Satoyo, I lotion every day now, and it is 100% because of the wisdom that he dropped upon me. So I'm, um, I'm a spiteful person. So I actually use less lotion now. I jerk, <laughs> I jerk it dry. Like that's where I've gotten. You're just pouring uh, talcum, out, talcum powder dude, on your face. I'm, I'm, like uh-huh. I'm like a gymnast about to hit the uneven bars. I'm like, let's jerk. And Hell um, yeah. Yeah, I'm ripping skin, but anyway, he's really, really good. He's very, very funny. I want to have a great crowd for him. So if you enjoy this show, if you enjoy uh, my podcast, if you enjoy comedy in general, come to the show. I don't know who else is going to be on it, um, but uh, I know that he is headlining and he's recording his album. Be a part of history uh, and come down and check that Helium Comedy Club on Sansom Street in Philadelphia. And if you want to uh, subscribe to Them Boys, where can we find that online? Uh, I know on iTunes, I don't know everywhere else. Uh, Cause like, I know like a lot of different artists are now starting to be like, we're getting off Spotify because of Joe Rogan. I think I'm still on there. I don't know. Um, I but will yeah. be on any, any platform that will have my dumb ass is going yeah. to have my dumb ass. Which is why you should follow Dan Scully on, on one, like Getter. Or All one of, of the things. All I'm the not, MAGA. I'm no, not on any of those because I don't know. <laughs> You know, I've done this thing there's, where there's no reason to be. I've You're not gonna playing, get anything. Yeah, it's not worth it. It's like no. joining a club where there's two members. I no. just I have really been very good at just putting an umbrella over my head and shutting out a lot of noise lately. So I'm like out of the loop and it's been blissful. Absolutely so, uh, blissful. I am only on I'm on Twitter at Alex Perlman. I got on there early enough to get my own name, which was yes. a big deal. I got I'm that also, too. Yeah, I'm also on TikTok where my name was was already gone. It is taken by an NFT artist that also has. Oh, fuck, man. (laughs) I know. I'm like, I found it. And like, he never posted anything. I was pissed. I tried reaching out to him and be like, yo, man, listen, I have the Twitter handle, blah, blah, blah. And then I guess he was saving it for his NFT project. And then the only reason I know this is because one day out of nowhere, all these NFT accounts started following me because his NFT art was dropping. And so everyone was tagging me. So one night I look at my phone, I took an edible set my phone to the side, like put it in my lockbox. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to do this. I'm like six hours. I'm not looking at my phone. Yeah. The worst thing in the world. Cartoons and video games. That's all you want. Cartoons and video games. Maybe a bowl of cereal. Listen, after, remember when, remember when that, they sent out that fake, uh, that, that mistaken alert to Hawaii, the missiles were in the air. That was the funniest fucking thing ever. So for 37 minutes, 37 minutes, people thought they were going to die by nuclear blast in Hawaii at 3 a.m., right? Yeah. I turn off my phone. If I'm going to take an edible, I turn off my phone completely. I put it away because I'm like, knowing my luck. Oh, yeah. That'll be the moment. I'm like, for these six hours, I'm just unreachable. I pretend it's 1996 all over again. Yeah, it's the best thing in the world. I've been doing this crazy thing where I leave my phone upstairs. 
Ooh. It's so simple, but I'll be downstairs watching Cutthroat Kitchen or some shit, and yeah. the phone's upstairs, and no one can find me. It's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. Well, I will say, my phone was on me while I was watching all four lethal, well, three of the four lethal weapon movies, because as I said at the beginning of this, I watched the first one for pleasure, as in didn't, just was looking for a movie that my wife and I were just flipping through, and I stopped, and I said, let let me watch Lethal Weapon 1 from the beginning. I love the framing of that was saying to your wife, hey, let me watch this. Well, it was one of those ones where- Allow so, me to watch this. So Peacock has this really weird function. Do you have the Peacock app on a TV or anything? You sounded so old there. You got the Peacock? You did, do you have the app? You got, the, you peacock? got the Peacock? Do you have it? Uh, How smart is he television? Is it stupid like yeah. us old millennials? It's a smart TV. No, I, I have the Peacock. Okay. I do have the peacock. So I have, I'm lucky as in I have the peacock that doesn't have ads because my sister is wildly more successful than me and shares passwords. Fair enough. So she pays for all the non-ad stuff and it makes me feel like a king. But peacock, when you're going through, they have some channels that are just running like old cable style where it's like, here's just Saturday Night Lives forever. We're just running. Here's just Parks and Rec running. So you don't actually have to pick anything, but they have on-demand channels when you're going through. It's just like, hey, this is the action channel. If you wanted to watch an action movie right now, we suggest Lethal Weapon. You can start at the beginning right now. Just click the button. So I was like going through and I was like, what, how does this work? And I hit the button and Lethal Weapon 1 just started. And I was like, oh, Kelly <laughs> Martin, like, do you want to watch Lethal Weapon 1? She was like, I don't care. You were immediately that guy in the, is it RCA? Who's just sitting in the chair, yeah. getting everything blown away. That's yeah. how Lethal Weapon begins. It is. It, and I was blown away immediately because I remember these movies two and four. I actually have like kind of a special place in my heart for Agreed. two used to play on HBO all the fucking time back in the day, HBO middle of the day, late at night did not matter. If you turn on HBO, I want to say from like 1994 to about 1998 lethal weapon two was playing. Mm -hmm. um, it was like that. And mom and dad saved the world. And yep. like, uh, uh, and occasionally uh, the one crazy summer was on yes. loop on uh, comedy central one crazy yes. summer. Yeah, better off dead. They were the uh, yep. John Cusack network. Uh, the Adventures of Baron von Munchausen. They would throw yep. on sometimes, which is an amazing film. And, and then USA was just tossing back and forth between episodes of Renegade and episodes of Wings. Mm. And I am quite schooled on the latter as a result. And and TNT would occasionally be like, "Here's a Hulk Hogan show where he has a boat." Oh, uh, <laughs> Thunder in Paradise. Yes, yes. It was I incredible. remember an episode of Thunder in Paradise where. Uh, like Hulk Hogan's character was like able to do these insane feats. Yes. And there was this one where he was chained with his arms around like a redwood tree. Yeah. And so his arms were wrapped around it and it was chained around the other side and he was pinned against it. And so you're like, oh man, what's he going to do? The bad guys are going to torture him. No, he just uproots the tree. And everyone's just like, yeah, that's, that's, he's got crazy strength. He uproots the tree. In another episode, they had to swim underwater for a long amount of time. So they took an inverted burlap sack and dragged it underwater. I remember that one. I remember that. If he was the strong guy, he could hold it and everyone else yeah. would just dip their head in to breathe. But he never had to breathe because his muscles were so big that he just he had great more. lung capacity. Yeah. Because yeah. that's how that works. Yeah. I remember, I, I remember that, specifically the burlap sack, because I remember the person's head with the camera inside the bag yes. popping up. I remember that shot. I did not remember that that was involved with the Hulk Hogan Oh, and I remember show. too, as a kid, remember, but the science like, worked out for me because I yes. was like, oh, well, that's what Sonic the Hedgehog Dude. does with bubbles. To the, uh, to the audience, for those of you guys that know, when I keep saying a boat, 
the, the, the idea of Thunder in Paradise was that Hulk Hogan got a hold of a military grade speedboat yes. that had weapons and armor on it. They was basically the night, it was Knight Rider, like the Knight Rider car, but a boat. And um, he would solve crime, uh, but only water-based crime. Yeah, it was jungle happened, crime. Yeah, that happened near like the Florida Everglades because he always had to be able to get the boat there. Cause like, if he didn't, it, what was the point of having the boat? It's um, like anyway, uh, the screaming a, Mimi helicopter. Yeah, Wait, there, yeah. there is somebody though, the, the guy, the other guy that wasn't Hulk Hogan, was played by like Hollywood royalty. Yes. So the other guy, like his buddy in that, his buddy cop, we're going to loop it back, is play, played by Chris Lemon, who was the son of Jack Lemon, I believe. Oh. And so it was, yeah, it was God, one of those could you imagine that? Could you imagine sitting there and be like, oh my God, Jack Lemon, you legend. He's like, yes, and here's my son, the famous actor. And you're like, so from... There's from two... Paradise. Yeah, Thunder in Paradise. The Hulk Hogan show. So Hulk Thunder Hogan's Paradise, character's sorry. name was Randolph J. Hurricane Spencer. Jesus. Now, Chris Lemon, though, is credited as two characters, one that has a great action name and the other one that leads me to believe there might be some very dated elements we're forgetting about because his first character was named Martin Brew Brewbaker, but he's also credited as playing Manuel Santiago. All right. Something tells me there was some shoe polish or something involved in that decision that has not dated well, but I don't no. know if I want to research it and open up that algorithm on my phone. You know what? Let's speaking of this, let's go back to things that haven't aged well and start talking start about lethal weapons. weapons. So, so lethal weapon one, I will say, actually, out of and all I'm starting of these the clock. Movies, okay, start the clock. Out, out of all these movies, lethal weapon one probably holds up the best. I think it um, functions most as a movie of character because yes. the subsequent sequels become, they become the Lethal Weapon action figure place at the movie yes. where, you know, like in Lethal Weapon 1, Riggs is suicidal because he's a PTSD war vet who has more PTSD from his wife's car accident and he has a death wish. So he's mm. scary. He is, quote, a lethal, a potential lethal weapon. Which Whereas is, oh, which by is, the, by the opening credits of 2, it's just like, oh, his suicidal, it's just, he's quirky. He's quirky yeah. guy. He's just crazy. Yeah. Um, uh, real quick, because I'd never seen one before, when Murtaugh looks at Riggs and says, I get it, you're a lethal weapon. Yeah. I did the Leo Point meme. And I was like, <laughs> oh, oh, that's what it's <laughs> Like, I lost that. I cannot stress to you, because I, again, Lethal Weapon 4 came out in 1998. So I was in, in eighth grade, when Lethal Weapon 4 was really coming out, and when people were pushing again that Lethal Weapon is something that's good. Yeah. I was in middle school, so I didn't understand why it was called Lethal Weapon. It yeah. didn't make sense to me, and I'd never seen one. So when they're like, no, Mel Gibson is the Lethal Weapon, I'm like, then what is Danny Glover? And they're like, yeah. he's relief. Like, what? I'm like, what Well, it begs the same question in, um, what was it, Hobbs and Shaw? There's yeah. a character that has superpowers and it's like, what does superpowers mean in a world where everyone ostensibly already has superpowers? And it's like, yeah. Mel Gibson's the lethal weapon. Meanwhile, Danny Glover's character also kills with abandon. Yeah. Just uh, now granted that is developed in the sequels more. He's a little bit more reserved in part one, well, but yeah, they, he, they have no compunction. Killing. One is one is to me, um, we should look at Lethal Weapon 1 as the darkest timeline of the Manic Pixie Dream Girl, but for cops. Yes, yeah, so it, it really is. Because, yeah. because it starts out 
Murtaugh, Danny Glover's character, is just a guy trying to get through his day. Yeah. He shows up to be a cop. Oh, the movie opens. A woman and does cocaine. I get the dies. sense he's not an action cop. No, he's not. He's, and actually, that's a, my he's first a desk note. Cop. It's very clear. My opening note about Lethal Weapon is the first note I have is opens on titties. Yes. Because this was 1987 when every movie was directed by cocaine and tits. Most yes. movies were, were produced by Joel Silver, including this one. And it's like, if you want to hook a 1987 booby baby businessman, you better open with tits. You better throw a line of coke on them, and then you better toss all three out the window to their death. Yeah, and that's exactly that's what happens exactly here. What and, and and that fall eight, wait, is extremely well done. It's extremely well done, and also to make it a true '80s action movie, it's it's at Christmas. It's at why? Christmas. why yeah. why because fuck you. We're we're flipping Christmas on its head. Well, here's the thing: Lethal Weapon One is a Christmas movie. Fuck you, diehard fans. That's a, that's a choice, and it starts. It's partially an artistic choice because Shane Black, who wrote the first Lethal yes. Weapon, uh, he sets everything at Christmas. He wrote and directed Iron Man Three, which was at fucking Christmas. You know, like he, uh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, Christmas, the nice amazing guys, movie, Christmas, yeah, amazing like, movie. I love Shane Black. Shane Black, actually, what's funny but is if you're making will... blockbusters in the 80s, it behooves yeah. you to set it at Christmas because not only do you get an added boost of setting your action blockbuster at Christmas so it becomes like a Christmas thing, yeah. you also get summer blockbusters. So you can hit the box office and hit like back then it was summertime blockbuster, Christmas time home video release. That's it was true. a smart business yeah. move. That is and true. I would suspect that a lot of movies that are set at Christmas, almost, uh, you know, apropos of nothing, that might have a lot to do with it. Well, the other thing too, that this and Die Hard both have for them uh, by setting it at Christmas is it is and isn't a Christmas movie at the same time because they're in areas that don't get snow. Yeah. So like if this movie was set in Philadelphia at Christmas, they would have thrown in snow for summer, even though it's it hasn't snowed at Christmas in Philadelphia yeah. since like 1995. We're in um, our first snow right now in Philadelphia, yeah, and like it is almost February. Yeah, yeah. But anything like set in this area or New York around Christmas time, it has to be brutally cold. All this stuff, like setting it in LA at Christmas, catches off most of the country off guard because they're like it's Christmas time, and you're like, oh, is it? And they're like, but people are wearing t-shirts. Yeah. So it, it adds this weird, almost like, like, like seeing Australia at Christmas and it's summertime, yeah. but people are wearing Santa hats. Like it's a weird touch. And um, it's easier to shoot too, because if you're shooting winter in New York, you have to answer to all of that on your shooting schedule, yeah. all the elements, but shooting Christmas outside, in LA, everyone's wearing jackets. You're good to yeah. go. Yeah. Yeah. And like, no, it's, it's like, Christmas in LA. Of course there'd be hookers. That's the first one we're going to, yeah. we're going to interview. <laughs> we and got plenty like, of snow. We eh, got plenty. Eh, <laughs> eh. All right, let's get back into the movie, though. So uh, real quick, with Shane Black, I fell in love with Shane Black with Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. I love that so movie. Good. It's so good. And here's the thing. I think I remember talking about the movie when it came out and being like, oh, I love Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Like, it's Shane Black. I didn't know who this guy was. I thought he was like a young, new writer. Oh, no. Director. And then it's like, now seeing, it's like, oh, he did Lethal Weapon 1. He, he started Lethal Weapon 2, lost it, was like, did not like, he wanted to kill Riggs. He wanted to do, he basically wanted to treat this whole thing differently. So then he left the project. So learning more and more about him is maybe both like respect him more as a writer oh, yeah. and enjoy more his style action comedy. And then you go back and you've got, uh, you've got, uh, oh fuck, what's the uh, the Bruce Willis, Damon Wayans football movie? Uh, Last Boy Scout? Last Boy Scout, Shane Black. 
Yeah. Um, uh, Last Action Hero, Shane Black, which is Shane Black parodying the genres Shane that Bu- Shane Black made. Yeah, it's, it's literally Shane Black being like, all right, I'm just going to do my fucking, you, what, what? You, you don't think it's funny that he hates his ex? All right, here, he's going to play yeah. a fucking recorded tape. It's so good. But Shane Black also, when this movie was made in 87, I think he was like 22 years old and railing coke like crazy. Like he's also one of those famous addiction stories. So question, it is before we go too far, is Shane Black the guy who's the jumper? Is that Shane Black? I don't think so, but I don't know. He it could looks be. similar. He looks similar. He very anyway, well might be. Let's 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 get into a little bit more of the plot of the movie. So the movie opens, like you said, on tits. It's a girl doing cocaine. She could she climbs up like Jenny. I feel like they they stole the scene from Forrest Gump of Jenny about to jump off the balcony. Yes, they, high on coke. they pre-stole it seven yeah. years in advance. Yeah, no, no, I'm saying no, I'm saying Je- Forrest Gump stole this <laughs> from Lethal Weapon. Now that because, I believe. Because because as I'm watching it, I'm like, oh, she's just gonna dangle. And then when she fell, it was shocking because and it's I'm a used to the killer stunt. It's a killer stunt. Hits a car. It's it's really a fuck this car moment. Yeah. Hits a car. And fuck then there's this car like, in particular. Yeah. And then they're just like lethal weapon. And you're like, what the fuck's going on? You you get Danny Glover's character who like again, he's just just trying to get through his day. They saddle him with a partner who, by all intents and purposes, should never should even be allowed to be a mall security guard. This man should be on disability, uh, Riggs. He is, he is suicidal. He immediately, I think, is he in the middle of the drug bust? Is that when we meet him in the middle of the drug bust? Or do we meet him? I think just- the, the first time I think we really meet him, because now they're all running together in my head, because yeah. I watched, is I, I know when there's, there's a sniper and there's kids in the room and everyone's holding their distance and then Riggs just walks up and executes the sniper like he walks right into the line of fire because uh he's the sillier version of Ray Liotta's character in Narc who is now a better cop because he has no self-preservation instinct mm. and I thought somebody it, I actually thought... says to him on the way out of that I wrote down this quote some guy passes by Riggs and says the line that set the tone for all cop movies in the future he goes you're one psycho son of a bitch but you're good like we would say that as a parody line but that's the that's like the original the progenitor of that concept so i just pulled up the plot on wikipedia oh yeah that's smart move i just want to just let you know this (laughs) um Uh, this line just stuck out to me because I was like, all right, well, how, when do they like introduce Riggs? They don't really explain it. It just says Riggs and Murtaugh do not get along as Murtaugh is equally dismissive of Riggs' mental state, but is eventually convicts, convinced Riggs is truly suicidal. <laughs> <laughs> like, the, whole, yeah. the whole point of this movie is, ah, he's faking being crazy. Well, that's hey, the this whole man's actually crazy. But again, but again, like, like the first Rambo movie, like First Blood, which is a serious look at special forces and soldiers with PTSD um, trying to survive in society, right? Yeah, in a world like, that doesn't appreciate them as a, in, was promised. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And then, then it devolves into look at how crazy this motherfucker yeah. can get. And check out all the ways I can blow up a helicopter. Is yeah. what those sequels become. Well, and then and then on top of that too, the, the villains in this is a, is actually part of the what was it um uh, the the America was it Operation America the um they actually say the name Iran Contra. 
No, it's not. I, it, it's the whole I thing about selling heroin and everything. There was yeah. a specific name for it. I know what um, you're talking about. And I cannot think of it. Yeah, yeah, but it's it's they call it shadow company or anything in here. Um, but but moving drugs, and that's why the daughter is killed. Talking about the deep state. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I have the documents. Well, the part that actually gets the, the most unbelievable thing is that the woman jumps out of the window right at the very beginning, and then they still do an autopsy. Same day, they're like, she would have died before she hit the car. Yeah, and that it's was like, so and then, badass. And then, then caring. Like, first thing, they like this is how this would happen today in America. Woman jumps out. They go to the place. The only way there's anybody here, she did a bunch of drugs. Uh, can you mark that as a suicide? Yep. Yeah. Uh, do you guys want to go back to time and a half? Yeah, let's go collect time and a half because we have to block the road. Um, cool. Does anyone here want to investigate this as a murder? Absolutely not because that means eventually we'd have to go to court. Yeah, cool. Do you want to stamp this closed? I want to stamp this closed. The end. That's yeah. how this ends. And they and, might grab a titty. Yeah. And and that which which part of this is what actually I believe is the true enemy of le- all lethal weapon movies, which is bureaucracy. Riggs and Murtaugh hate bureaucracy. They hate red tape. They hate actual processes. Oh, they are they, shoot shoot first, ask questions later. But to like, a and, yeah, and they hate it. They hate it to the billionth degree. They run through life with a sword, just just pushing filing cabinets over. Now, I will say that uh, at least insofar as the first movie, Murtaugh is not that type. We are meant to believe he is very straight laced and follows the rules, but then. But he Death grows wish. into that. He grows into that. He grew- by the end of this movie. By the, by the end, end of, they're yeah, partners the in murder. Yeah. yeah they're just the, they're the, copaganda partners in murder. Full, full on. Yeah. Well, well, because because the, the bad guy, the, the the other thing this movie does is it sets up two bad guys. So there's mm-hmm. always the bad guy who is and then the, the true guy bad who guy. rigs has to fist fight. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and the guy who rigs has to fist fight in this movie. Busey, baby. Gary Busey with teeth and all mental faculties, which is amazing. I, one of the things like now growing up, I, I uh, had a similar experience to you as two and four were the ones that I had seen the most. I remember my dad rented these for me in his don't tell your mother phase when he was like showing me cool movies. And since we don't bond over anything else, uh, Lethal Weapon has a special place in my heart. But uh, I didn't see one a lot growing up, but always, always, I will never forget the scene where the big bad orders Gary Busey to hold a lighter under his forearm and just burn his own flesh to prove to Riggs and Murtaugh that this guy will do anything under the contract of the villain. You know yeah. the scene where he does that? He has him just, yeah, yeah. and he's just like, I ordered him. He'll burn his own flesh for that. That's how much my money talks. That scene is terrifying. And if they also, if they told me that Gary Busey just actually did that, I'd believe it. Gotcha. Yeah, no, I would believe it too. Yeah, I would 100% believe that scene stuck with me more than any scene outside of uh, Riggs riding the table in Lethal Weapon 4. That's like the only thing that I remembered from the first one. And it always stuck with me because it's haunting as shit. So, okay, um, I was trying to remember what this operation is called. And I was like, is it called Air America? And then I just looked it up. So the operation of these these guys, the CIA or ex-military mercenaries who were moving and in we leave the weapon. They're moving heroin from Laos, yeah, Southeast Asia, into the states. They're using uh, Murtaugh's Vietnam buddies' bank as a financing and all this different stuff, which is why his daughter has to be killed because Murtaugh's buddy is going to uh, played snitch by on the them. legendary Tom Atkins. 
Yep. Big fan um, in horror circles. So I was, I was like, wait, I think it was called, I think it was called like Air America or something was the, was the project. And no, that America, was, that was Mark Maron's old show, wasn't it? Air that America. Was, yeah, that was, that was the liberal, <laughs> that was supposed to be the liberal answer to conservative radio. That's so um, funny. Air America is also a 1990 American action comedy film ah. starring Mel Gibson and Robert Downey Jr. Okay. As Air America pilots flying missions in Laos during the Vietnam War when they discover that their aircraft is being used by government agents to smuggle heroin and they have to avoid being framed as the drug smugglers. So Mel Gibson not only plays the guy who brings down this operation. He is he the operation. is the operation. Did, did you just crack open a Shane Black Cinematic Universe spinoff that we didn't even realize? Because we got we RDJ, we got we Mel Gibson, two yes. problematic faves that yes. are connected to Shane Black. Yes. This is huge. We have... We have a lot of cocaine and heroin. I'm getting too old um, for this shit. Yeah, it, this Shane Black. It looks like is not involved with this, but I was just like, because there, there was, there actually was some well-known, uncovered CIA. Oh, plot. the CIA is a disgusting, dirty organization yes. that should be disbanded. Yeah, there, yes. there's... <laughs> that, that some of this is based on some reality of the CIA getting illicit subjects, uh, illicit materials. Yeah, causing heroin, crime to fight crime, crack, any of that different stuff to then use, to sell in America, ship it illegally into the country, sell it, and then use that to then fund overseas uh, things. Yes. So this is fund all- Fund overseas this all, things, oppress yeah. poor people, oppress colored people. Yeah. And all that, make all it that look like you're useful. Shit. Yeah. Which is why I found it hilarious that uh, looking back on this, Mel Gibson being against it. Anyway, so um, the, the, the movie though, as you watch it, um, you would think if this was a modern movie, right or a sane movie you would have <laughs> you would have Murtaugh right a guy who's been a cop for years who is an ex-soldier who would understand PTSD understand what some of his uh battle brothers went through and all this different shit be given rigs would <coughs> get rigs to calm down or get help or something to work through his PTSD to become a a more normal member of society and be able to actually finally like remerge. Yeah. No, it's like, you into, just gotta, and, and you to be a straight through. Yeah. And to be a murder good cop. harder. Yeah. No, instead through. it's, it's reverse. Yeah. Murtaugh who has rejoined society, who has a loving wife, loving kids, has a job he likes is respected at his office. He is a, it's 1987. He's a black man in LA who is a police officer of note. Like, like, I, like, this is people respect Murtaugh. He is respected, and this is a thing that's taken him years and years to do. And I think and, they try and establish too that, like, he was that guy who was like, I know we don't like cops in my neighborhood, but I'm gonna go be the good cop. Yeah, I'm gonna he, be the he, guy that makes I'm gonna the try, change. Yeah. I'm gonna try to change the system for Miranda. He's all these things, and Murtaugh shows up. He goes, Nah, <laughs> he just yeah. said, nah, and then he's just like, you know what? You're right. Fuck it. Let's just kill dudes. Let's get drunk on my boat and kill dudes. And kill dudes. Yeah, and it, like to the point where, um, the absolute. Mo Can I tell you what the most insane part of this movie is? That's why we're here. Weapon? Okay, it's not the constantly trying to murder people via helicopter. It's not the random explosions. It's not um the fight on the front line. It's none of those things. The absolute most insane moment is when Murtaugh is at home sitting in his living room by the Christmas tree. And he has a envelope that's given to him that just says evidence. And he opens it up and inside the evidence envelope are two things. 
There is a high school yearbook and a VHS tape. He is in his family living room. His children are asleep upstairs. His wife's upstairs. He is next to the Christmas tree. Everything is lit by the Christmas tree. It's dark. A saxophone is playing. Shout, shout out Richard Donner. Great director. Shout out Richard Donner. They, a saxophone is playing. Soul sax. Da, da, blah, 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 like kind of sexy saxophone. Oh, yeah. Michael Kamen, Eric Clapton, another problematic fave. Yeah. He pops the tape in. He pops the tape in, presses play. He then opens the yearbook and looks at his his Vietnam battle brother's friend, his daughter, her high school picture, and then proceeds to watch her porno, which is just her topless with two other topless blondes showering. Like not even touching each other. They're all just, and he's just standing there. He's just now, sitting there. If I there. remember correctly, do they play it for slight humor where he turns it off when his wife comes in? Yeah, or am I, I think remember. Something else? I, I feel I like think, this movie does have to do that by law. I, I, I feel like it did. But again, it's been about a month and a half since yeah. I've watched it. But like, I just remember feeling how fucking weird it was. Yeah. That he like, not a, but, but like the other cops involved, because the, the envelope says evidence. He didn't get the yearbook from his friend. Yeah. His friend didn't show up and like hand him the yearbook and be like, hey man, like look at her. That's my daughter, Jenny, or whatever the fuck her name. Like that's her. This is the little girl and they killed her. Like don't think of her as the dead hooker or whatever she is. Think of her and as a little girl. here she is in girl. a shower, yeah. Yeah. Instead the other cops were like, all right, yeah, yeah. So here's her, here's her high school yearbook uh, and here's her porno. Um, I feel we're like gonna deliver this. We'll deliver this to your living room. Like it was. That feels the most realistic, though. As I've as I've grown to just realize that actual cops are fucking psychotic. Yeah. It's starting to it's starting to feel that way. It just felt so weird. But the other thing too, which also that moment triggered for me, which I don't know if you noticed, Ray, uh, Murtaugh's oldest daughter, who is yes. just, just a beautiful young woman yeah. in this movie. Every, every Re- time, Rianne. Rianne, every time. Rianne. She, Every time she's introduced or walks in, they play the um, they play the fuck sax, as I like to describe it. Yeah. Like even when Murtaugh is talking to her, there's always like a little bit of like sexy sax of like uh, daddy's little girl. And I was always like, it weirded me out. It's I, weird. I noticed it because like they do it with Riggs talks to her, anybody who talks to her, but well, then if a movie... sexy woman comes in, same saxophone. If they... there's any implication of boning, they draw a lot of humor from they draw a lot of and i'm air quoting humor from the same vibe that brings us those t-shirts that are like sure you can date my daughter but you better get used you better make friends with my shotgun like things like that yeah there's a lot of that a lot of that like my daughter is a sexual being panic yeah but at the same time the jazz so the the soundtrack here is blues guitar which is supposed to represent like rock and roll rigs and then there's jazz saxophone which is cool conflicted you know uh uh black guy essentially and so they always play that and so that ends up tying in with that riff Um, yeah i wanted to say i have a couple notes because we are running up towards the end of the clock on one here a couple of notes i wanted to cover is uh one in 1987 if you have access to a helicopter and you're making a movie you use it no matter what even if it's just a helicopter that zips in circles around a scene that's happening when yeah. they're doing that car chase, uh, when they have Rianne captured, yeah. there's a helicopter there that is not there for any logistical reason, except that it looks baller to have a helicopter. Uh, the other thing I wanted to point out, do you remember when Tom Atkins, Murtaugh's friend, 
Do you remember what he was holding when he died? No. Because he gets executed by like a sniper's bullet. But, but from he, a helicopter. From a helicopter. Yeah, yeah. Because they want to make it clear, like his he they're at like a cliffside wedding or something, right? Well, this is no, it's like his office. Yeah, no, but but it's like cliffside. It's like there, a it's overseeing, beautiful office. Overseeing the Pacific Ocean. I think it's a wedding. Yeah. So yeah, there's something happening outside. Like there's he's something in his here. office talking to, I forget whether it's Riggs or Murtaugh. It's Murtaugh. And he leans over and there's a tray of cartons of eggnog labeled party nog with two G's. And as he's talking about his daughter and this and how, oh, we got to kill him. Murtaugh, you owe me. You owe me because of what we did in Vietnam. He grabs one and just starts drinking nog out of a carton. And I was like, why the fuck is this guy drinking Nog out of a carton? And so the reason that he's drinking Nog out of a carton is because Dick Donner is a genius and he knows that when this guy gets shot, the best way to depict that is for a bullet hole to explode out of a carton of eggnog and spray eggnog everywhere. It's a completely illogical choice that exists just to make a death that much more cinematic. It's goddamn brilliant. I, well, also the other thing too is it reminds me very much of the jerk. Steve Martin's the jerk. Yes, yeah, yeah. It's, Where the it's same like image. Yeah. no, but but it's oh my god, he hates these cans. Like the sniper isn't actually trying to kill him. Oh my god, they just hate he hates Nog. these cans. And it has the effect though of a Looney Tune, like when someone yes. gets shot and then they drink milk and it sprays out of them. It has that effect, but it's eggnog. But they'll never go back and explain why he has a fucking palate. Well, well of no, no, party nog. It is explained. It is explained because, again, it's Christmas time. Yeah. There is a party happening outside. The, he leaves and takes him into his private office. <laughs> the, all this his, dog in is his mansion. <laughs> no, I think they're just storing it in that room. Yeah, you want to keep all refrigerated temperature. Yeah. Room temperature. <laughs> like the rest of that it makes no sense. But this You're going to try thing, and make this logical. It's not going to happen. Listen, There's hold on. Threads. Hold on. I will make it logical. You want to hear me make it logical? <laughs> I'm open to it. Oh, God. Come on. Let me make another one. That's all, all it right. is. Woo! That's okay. all it is. So, it's motherfucking Christmas. <laughs> They're like, ah, this movie's a little too bloody. It's like, don't worry. We'll just make it nog for Christmas. So, so I want to talk about the, the climax of the movie. Um, Wait, can I just say, I have to do one more thing before we get to the sure. climax, because we're coming up on 25 minutes of our 20 okay. minute clock. But um, gotcha. I am bothered by the suicide jumper scene, and I always have been. Okay. Because there's a cinematic lie held in that scene. It's a great mm-hmm. scene. There's a guy who wants to commit suicide and you're supposed to kind of handle that situation with kid gloves, be supportive, that sort of thing. Not Riggs. Riggs no. just goes upstairs, gets out on a ledge with him and is Handcuffs like- Handcuffs himself to him. Try, and essentially then, and tries to out, him. out crazy him. Yeah. But then he says, oh, you want to jump? Let's jump. We'll go Dan Anda. And then he jumps and then unbeknownst to seemingly everybody but Riggs, is there's just a giant city block wide stuntman's airbag there to catch the fall. So they either inflated that thing nonchalantly over the matter of about eight seconds, or everyone but Riggs is the dumbest person on the entire planet. But it only exists the way that it's framed. It only exists for our benefit at home, just like the eggnog. Maybe that was always there, but it needs to be a surprise for us so that we all go, what the fuck, when he jumps and then he's okay. But yeah. it's such a big leap in logic that I don't buy. It's, it's, um, that, and then afterwards too, don't they? Then Murtaugh and Riggs then have like a whole argument where Murtaugh even says, you really trying to kill yourself? Yeah, like, yeah. But like, it, it is, it is insane because it's false. It's, it's a false, um, danger. So- yeah, it's because, a lie of because they hide 
they hide this massive bag completely from the audience. They don't show it that it's there. And then when he lands in it, yeah, it's like, it's like, did they puff, did they puff this thing up in eight seconds? Like yeah. as he jumped, it's an airbag tick because even yeah. when Riggs is about to jump, the guy's like, no, I don't want to die. And it's like, yeah, man, you'd be all right. There's a yeah. fucking Tempur-Pedic well, down there. I mean, yeah, I mean, <laughs> nice. Um, <laughs> one of Dan's oldest jokes is about Tempur-Pedic mattress. We don't need am- to go there. It's amazing. <laughs> it's honestly, I'm surprised the man ever retired from standup because uh, Tempur-Pedic mattress, it's a uh, NASA-based technology. Yeah, well, when you, you, when you- you wiggle on a bed while while having a glass of wine re- uh, rest on it when you when you peak in comedy at 17 it's pretty is easy to quit at 29 so yeah you know, it's like, <laughs> what are you gonna do uh, <laughs> the the whole scene though with the jumper makes no sense the other part that makes no sense though is is i've also not understood what division Riggs and murtaugh are in like yeah. so early on they make it clear Riggs was in vice yes because he was in drug enforcement because he goes through the entire thing of, uh, you know, with with the Christmas tree shootout and all this different stuff, where he murders like four guys, by the way, yeah. straight up has them. He has them dead to rights. Can easily have them arrested. Instead, makes them attack him. Like goes out of his way to escalate the situation, you know, like a cop, and kills them, and then proceeds on with his day, um, like it's nothing. Then he pulls up on this and he's just like, yeah, whatever. We're sergeants or whatever. Like there's no one in this entire uh, setup at the moment of when they're doing, uh, of when they have this jumper up there. There's no one that outranks them yeah. that can pop up and be like, hey, uh, yeah, no. Oh, you want to climb up there? No, sorry. I'm Lieutenant Smith. Um, you're who? Yeah, don't, uh, don't go no, in there. No, you're a you're man in jeans. To. If you go up there, Oh uh, yeah, wave a badge. That's fine. If you go up there, I will have you arrested now because yeah. I can do that. I'm also a cop. We're other cops. Cops if, can arrest cops. If you go up there and then he jumps because of you, we got to come after you. Yeah, no, this is a whole city. Like the loss, like that's the thing that, that gets, that drives me crazy out of these movies is as it builds, there actually to me is a more exciting story. This whole, I would like to see a movie of the guy who is going to jump, right? Maybe you do like 15 minutes leading up to him jumping. Um, then Riggs bursts in, handcuffs himself and makes him jump, right? And then you have the fallout of the guy who clearly was like, because his hair's crazy, he's in a suit. He clearly just lost everything in Black October, 1987 on the stock yeah. market, right? It's quite clear. The stock market just crashed. It's one of the biggest crashes since 1928. This dude was about to buy a helicopter and yeah. now he's going to jump off a roof. He was gacked out of his mind. Yeah, out of his head. Riggs throws him off a roof. He lives. And now he has to live the rest of his life. But also, he gets to sue the L.A. Police Department. He gets to sue the city of L.A. I'd watch he, this. I would, I would want to see what the fallout of this movie is. That, to me, is, is we'll call as it interesting. Litigious weapon. Yeah, I love it. But, all right, let's get to the climax. Uh, so, so, yeah. With Nick Nolte, not Nick Nolte. I always not wanted to be. Nick I mean, Nolte. it's it would the be same fucking thing. Gary Busey and Nick Nolte at this time were basically interchangeable. They were they the Bill both, Paxton and Pullman of their time. But and and because they both have like hilarious uh, uh, mug shots, they both yes. have weird problems where they gave themselves drugs that criminals yeah. typically give to other people. Uh, yeah, they're just both nuts. But goddamn, so, Busey's brilliant when he's brilliant, but he's Busey, just fucking psychotic. Yeah, which is what you want. And he, he does great. So, you know, whatever. They, they, save, they save Rianne, even though they, they definitely also hype up 
again, a pretty big trope that we now call out a lot. Um, you know, that there's definitely violence of whether possibly a sexual nature done towards Murtaugh's daughter. Mm. It's heavily implied because she's in her underwear chained up when they find her. Um, and a few other things like this. They attack Murtaugh's home. Everything is targeted at Murtaugh. Nothing is targeted at Riggs Mm-mm. because he has nothing well, to he lose. He has nothing to lose, yeah. Exactly. Um, and so they finally get to the fight at the end where it's Gary Busey versus Riggs. Uh, they now, have Gary Busey in custody. I have a note here. The way that it's actually shot, Murtaugh has Busey's hands like this and he's putting them behind him to be cuffed. That's yes. where the shot is. Then we go to a reverse shot of, of Riggs kind of doing a like, we should probably fight. And then it cuts back to the reverse shot and Murtaugh is just fucking gone. Yeah. Completely gone. The, the editing in that moment is garbage. It's, but it's also very hilarious that it's like, oh no, he silently knows we're breaking protocol. This has got to be a fist fight. Well, and, and in the and, rain of a broken fire hydrant. Yeah. So it's the rain. So that's the part that gets insane because as this moment builds for this final fist fight, which again, we've now at this point, the body count is pretty big. I think there's like 20 dead people. And they're like, we're going to end it on a fist fight. You're like, okay, whatever. Well, because you got to it. It's yeah, all it, about the, it's, it's got to be the tough the guy. If we but, win because we outsmart them, that's cool. But we got to outman them. And that's yes. done with fists and boners. But, but the other part that's crazy about it is, again, Riggs and Murtaugh at this scene, which now we want to say probably half of the LAPD is involved in. Well, the whole LAPD exists just to like enable the antics of, of Riggs, Riggs and Murtaugh. Yeah. Who, who, who possibly with the exception of their captain are the highest ranking officers in the streets. Oh, in the world. Their captain yeah. never leaves his desk. So he can't stop him. He doesn't care to, but so there's the whole fight is happening and Murtaugh is in a blanket, like in the rain, like in the fire hydrant rain, yelling at other cops. He's yelling for them to kill him. He's Murtaugh by the end of this movie is rabid with rage. Yeah. Oh, he's yeah. He's like, kick his ass, Riggs. You get him with a weapon. And like a cop steps forward to be like, hey, maybe we could just all tackle this man. Like we yeah. can end this. There's there's a hundred of us. Literally, we're cuffing him two yeah. seconds ago. Yeah. yeah. He's like, there, there's a hundred of us. Like we could all just tackle this man. And there's like, absolutely not. Yeah. You let him. He got something to prove. I'm pretty sure he yells, this ends here now. Like, this, this whole thing goes crazy. And then finally, I'm looking at now, I just realized that, that Gary Busey's character's name is Joshua, which oh, yeah. is more insane than anything else. He gets Here's a hold the- of a gun and then Riggs and Murtaugh shoot him together, finally making them both lethal weapons. Yes, they are now better cops because they're willing to kill. There is also a moment though, I forget who it is. Um, uh, there's one point where... Uh, it's either I forget. It's either Riggs or Murtaugh is about to kill somebody, and the other one's just like, "Don't do it. It's not worth it. It's not worth it." And then the arc is complete, where they learn like it's not worth it to kill this guy. Let's lock it up. And then for three more movies, they kill with abandon. Yeah. Well, the whole thing is is it's not worth it. We're not going to kill him. But then the guy's like, "If you aren't going to kill me, then I'm going to kill you." And he gets a hold of a cop's gun, and he's like, "Yes, now I and, get to kill." Yeah. And they're like, "Oh no, it's self defense." Instead, yeah. like self defense is fine. It's coming right for us. Yeah, no, no, yeah, exactly, exactly. We shouldn't just kill with abandon. Uh, also, hey, uh, Riggs, don't be suicidal anymore because he gives he gives Murtaugh a bullet. And he oh, goes, yeah. I was going to kill myself with this bullet. And Murtaugh's like, thanks. Like, the part that gets that me with Mad Murtaugh's- sketch? 
they used to do a mad tv sketch of Riggs and murtaugh and it was Riggs and murtaugh just in whatever situation but it would always escalate and the guy who played Riggs would just pull out his gun and put it to his chin and be like raj every day i try and come up with reasons like don't do it Riggs. don't do it it's not the time not the time it's like oh i'm gonna do it right here dan and i like and it was so stupid because it was a one note joke yeah it was a really good set of impersonations it basically is it basically is like the one thing i'll say looking back on the whole movie um you know as we were discussing it lethal weapon one is a good movie about the worst person in the world making the world like him which is mel gibson and i I think that it is the character's arcs make sense in the context of how we felt about law enforcement and entertainment in 1987. Yes. It's just that that fades quick. And then in the years since, which we'll get into the sequels in a second, it has shifted wildly. Yes. And, and it's become more and more insane. What they basically did though, is they were like, how can we take dirty Harry or the death wish movies? How can we expand on this a little bit? try to both ground it in a little bit of reality for the first mm-hmm. movie while also making it a little bit, you know, making it comedic. Yeah. Like some comedic elements to it to, to give it that next level, you know, dig. but we were doing this in a ton of action movies at the time, all these action movies, all the posters, all the different ones. When you look at this kind of level of like 1986 to early nineties. Oh, it's everything. All- it's all long of them kiss, are like night. It's uh, yeah. what's it called? Uh, switchback. It's what I mean, Die Hard. I mean, remember yeah, you know, we all, you and I grew up thinking Bruce, thinking of Bruce Willis as an action star. When yeah. when he made Die Hard, he was actually a comedy star. He was moonlighting. So like, yeah, yeah. But but that's the thing that like has taken me forever to understand that like I, Bruce Willis has always been my entire life. I'm 37 years old. He's always been an action star to me. So when I learned. In the last couple of years, people were like, yeah, when Die Hard came out, people were like, the comedy guy? It would be like the guy who played Chandler Bing on Friends. <laughs> and they're like, Perry. he's, yeah, the Matthew Perry is the Terminator. Could that is I like the- die one. any harder than I'm dying? Yeah, that's what people were expecting to see. And then they went and saw the movie. Same thing with Lethal Weapon. Like he had done Mad Max. Danny Glover was a much more serious actor. Having them, you know, having these guys make something that's a little bit lighter while also still keeping the kill count up was something that's that was very, very heavily influenced, especially in the sequels. The the uh, Hong Kong cinema started to make that jump yeah. because there's a lot of of not aiming, just shooting as much as you can. And then also punching your bullets forward. Cause if you move yes. your gun forward while you shoot, it makes the, it makes the, it adds the speed of your punch to the already speed of the bullet making for better cop. Yes. So um, I guess that's lethal weapon one. Do you want to move on to two? I don't hear any of that. You don't hear it. It's not playing. No, I don't hear it. <laughs> Oh, is that uh, the... I had the saxophone ready to separate movies. <laughs> can you hear it at all? I can hear it a little bit. I can hear it a little bit. There is a way actually through Zoom that you could share your screen and then play the YouTube with turning the audio on. There is a way. I'll teach you how to do that after this. One day. Wait, here's what One we're going to do. Here's what yeah. we're going to do. I think I actually have this ready to go. Because I have a, a much louder speaker on my on my ipad and now okay. that this is going to be a thing we'll go to the lethal weapon soundtrack here we and go is, and by the way this is the sexy this is the sexy saxophone we were talking about can you hear it a at little, all 
a little bit. It's the thing is, is what Zoom is doing. To you. That's coming through. Yeah, that's coming through. Oh that yeah. Is, that is the music they play when uh, Danny Glover looks at his daughter. Uh, that's, that's, the name, that's the exact song. The name of that song on the score here is called Dot 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 Meet Martin Riggs. Oh, Jesus. So it's like Riggs is uh, intro yeah. music. Uh, I, do, I, I do respect, actually, the lean-in on the saxophone because, one, I'm, I'm a sucker for a horn section. Yeah. I oh, love yeah. a horn section. But, two, the other thing they're trying to do in Lethal Weapon 1, especially is they're trying to they're trying to make this they want them to be private investigators they want this to be almost almost a, have a noir aspect to it mm. um, of that sexiness of but you know instead of the woman you know showing up to the private investigator's office and oh i need your help my husband's trying to murder oh, yeah. me the they're like, femme like yeah the femme fatale any of that stuff instead of having that they're just like no 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 you see young uh, young young titties uh, did cocaine and she crashed into a car. That's the equivalent of in 1987 of sexy woman coming to your office, but you're also a cop. Yeah, like that's how they're trying to sell this. And so they throw in the saxophone to give that illusion to it. Well, there's nothing more manly than suffering and hurting yourself stupidly in order to be tougher than everyone else. Yes. And that is that is what it is. And you do it in the name of a completely lacking all agency dead female character whose titties you saw. Um, the only other thing I want to say about one is just that great gag where, uh, which establishes a, a Murtaugh superpower. When Murtaugh points his gun and cracks his neck first, he doesn't miss. And oh. that happens in the first movie at the shooting range. He cracks his neck and then he shoots and all of them are like, you know, relatively localized in the same part of the target. And then Riggs puts a target out and shoots a happy face. Into I was going to ask, is that, is that what does he do yes. in the first movie? As so if he is, is Tackleberry from yeah. Police Academy. Yeah. So, so, but that moment, him shooting the happy face, I think is, is the type of thing they took into two. Yes, exactly. And, That's and, why and I'm moving forward yeah. because slowly and especially three they these guys become more and more looney tunes characters i actually have a note watching lethal weapon three where i said is is Riggs going to paint a cartoon tunnel on a wall yeah and cut through a building because like i think he even does like a whoop, 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 like noise like he oh he does, does it a couple times yeah yeah because well, he loves the three more, stooges that's something yes. we know about him he even now, calls them the fellas are you familiar with it's a tv trope called flandersization yes i am Where so that's that's what's happening here less. yes because for the people uh, for the listeners who haven't heard of this flandersization is based around what has happened to the character of ned flanders on the simpsons so growing up ned flanders was a guy who we knew as uh very devoutly rigid religious uh has very plain tastes is a lefty and in order to uh and his homer's next door neighbor his homer's has, next door neighbor he has a wonderful wife and kids yep he's got you know? a gigantic dick we learned that a little bit yep. later but the thing about Flanders is that uh, when he talks, you know, when people say like, hey there, Dudorino, he says that and be like, addly doodly. And so that's his thing is he drops a doodly here and there. Now, Flanders exists only as a vessel for adding 
doodly googly and doodorino into things hey there neighborino googly giggly. and all he does is googly giggly everything about his character is gone the one trope that has stuck is just his usage of doodly diddly googly and so that's exactly what's happening with Riggs and Murtaugh it's like all right we already explored the thematic weight of PTSD and suicide so let's just turn that into he's a three stooges fan who likes to do goofy things yeah you know uh, oh he's retiring at the uh he's a Murtaugh, he's a 41-year-old playing 50, who's too old for this shit in the first one. From the Because uh, to be fair, to be clear, because Danny Glover didn't lotion enough. Yes. If he yeah. had listened to Toyo and lotion, <laughs> we wouldn't even he be would, here. Yeah, he wouldn't be, he couldn't even be able to claim he's too old for this the shit. The line would be, I'm feeling too soft for this shit. Yeah. But he's a what what was originally a thematic idea of okay, this is a guy who's reconciling with he's no longer able to do cool cop things. Then it just becomes a he's irritated by Riggs, you know, like yeah. that becomes the character. So well, and again, and like we said in the first movie, Danny Glover plays it relative, you know, initially in the and the art in the first um, the first arc is is playing it relatively straight. He is a guy who he he went to war, he was in Vietnam, he has VA benefits, he got a cop job because he didn't know what else to do, he was able to afford a house. He's just trying to get his kids through college, you know. Like, yeah, he, he, he did it right. He he he's literally he followed everything correctly. Murtaugh shows up and throws a wrench in all of this, but Danny Glover realizes, okay, there's supposed to be more to life. <laughs> and, you know, there's I say there's, there's a more hindsight to life. read of yeah. this that that's like a privilege argument if you look at yeah. this from the lens of 2022. Yeah, but well, that's the thing is 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 the the joke is that Danny Glover learns there's more to life than living it properly. Yeah, you also should there's murder more to life than family. Like. Yeah, you should murder people you don't like, and you should try to stop your daughter from fucking. Um, so let's get into *Lethal Weapon* two. Uh, *Lethal Weapon* oh. two. Which, As you said, but, uh, uh, this is uh, this is the departure of Shane Black. He had very yes. little to do with this. He so maintained a character credit throughout the entire thing, but he's no longer part of this. Whereas director Richard Donner, Dick yes. Donner, as he's referred to in every documentary that he's mentioned in, everyone calls him Dick Donner, RIP, recent, recently passed. Um, he sticks with the entire series. Yes. So I'm reading here off the Wikipedia. Um, Shane Black did write, initially wrote the sequel and he called it play dirty he didn't want to call it lethal weapon 2 he wanted to have a different name he what an appropriate to, title yeah he wanted to kill off Riggs. um shane black was also going through a bunch of personal issues at the time um and he wanted to make it actually uh more dark and more broody and he wanted to make it a little bit more serious and he wanted to lean into the fact that the first movie's insane yeah uh, he wanted to lean in like it was kind of what we were talking about with the jumper he shane black was like Hey, so in a world where all of that happened, because everything that happens in the first Lethal Weapon movie ostensibly happens over the course of like three days. Yeah, it's very and quick. In, and in three days, you could probably get away with some of that. However, in the weeks, months, and years after that, as we've seen with the rest of society, the rest of law, um, society, civilization, ramifications would catch up to these guys over their three-day rampage yeah because that's what it is it's a three-day rampage of Riggs and Murtaugh running through the city murdering being shot at blowing things up all but these things they are the personification of your methods are bad you cause a mess but, but god damn get, it but you get, get the job stuff, done get the job done so anyway these um, streets are clean except for the fact that ostensibly they are not 
because yeah. there's constant crime to, for them to stop. It's I always make this joke about the transporter. Every transporter movie starts with him completing a successful job, and then it enters a job where he opens the package fucks the package because it's typically a woman and then kills his employer but then yeah. he lives to be hired again and again despite the fact that he is and he keeps he keeps fucking he, he keeps his... murdering the people who hired him his <laughs> whole thing is to be an impartial person who does not deal with good or yeah. bad but when the package turns out to be a distressed woman he has to open the package fuck the package and kill his employer and it's like bro if you're moving things for criminals and it's got to be like, like it's always going to be a woman. That's how that works. Yeah. So, so the, um, this is yeah, this is very similar. So the the uh, the one thing with Transporter Two, Transporter Two was the beginning of me uh, having an issue with with suspending disbelief during action <laughs> movies. There is a moment in Transporter Two before we go into Lethal Weapon Two, which I think is actually probably a good comparison as you deal with action so. sequels. Transport 2, there's a moment where Transport 1 is very good. In, like for, as an action movie. Shout in out to you. And in two, he's driving the BMW. He looks out the window and sees that there is a bomb under the, 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 the car. Yeah. By a puddle on the street. Now, anyone who's ever driven a car and has looked out the side and driven through a puddle will know you can't see anything under the car. No, no. He then flips it on a ramp and using a random hook like that's it's hanging. Like hang off of a crane. Yeah, it's like a, a, crane, a wrecking ball almost. Hooks, is able to perfectly hook the bomb off and it explodes. The other moment in that too is when he's on a jet ski and he's on a, he's on a jet ski like in a canal chasing a bus and uh, that is on a road and he jumps the jet ski onto the road and then proceeds to catch up to the bus. Oh, yeah. On land, on a jet ski. So, like, this is the type of thing where they get to a point where they're just like, dude, nobody gives a shit. We've seen what the core is. It's the same thing in wrestling. I love professional wrestling, guys. Professional wrestling will let you, initially with professional wrestling, it was a fake fight. You're trying to trick people into believing this fake fight is real, right? We, that's, and that's what uh, most people think. But once, wrestling once we fans, made peace with the fact that it's not, they were yeah. able to do anything. Yeah, and so so that's how you end up with the Undertaker, who is an undead biker zombie Dude, that's into new metal. Like, I saw a clip on Instagram yesterday that made me laugh, and it's like any ounce of bad professional wrestling was worth it for this moment. It's a guy in the middle of a ring. He's got whoever he's fighting is laying down on the ring, and he's about to pin him, but then the lights go out. Yeah, and then the lights open up, and now the guy he's standing over just is Undertaker instead, yes. and yes. he just sits up as an undead guy, and they go at it. I was like, that is fucking bananas so, in the best way. So there's a guy, and and one thing I love before we go into Lethal Weapon too, because I I will take a quick wrestling side uh, thing. There's a them wrestling boys, them boys podcast <laughs> yes. is available. Lots of rest. If you want to talk about wrestling and racism, them boys look no further. <laughs> If you guys want to talk about geopolitics, wrestling, um, white privilege and how it needs to be stomped on, you should listen to them boys. Them and boys, also, baby. Um, I also can tell you real quick, I found out that Totoyo has a wrestling podcast that I never heard of via the bio that Helium wrote about him. That's incredible. I was scrolling down the bio and it says he's the 
He's the co-host of the Them Boys podcast, as well as the Gimme the Book podcast. And I said, what the fuck is Gimme the Book? And he's like, it's a podcast about wrestling I do with Mike Alloy. And I was like, you do another podcast? I had no clue. I don't even follow wrestling, but I would listen to that in yeah. a second. So anyway, there's a rest, there's a character named Orange Cassidy in wrestling. And he's, he, he, he wrestles for AEW. He used to wrestle to our local Philadelphia promotion called Chikara. Chikara! Chikara! Um, yeah, so so uh, he, the whole thing is he is a guy who wears a jean jacket and jeans to the ring, sunglasses to the ring. Initially, his character was, he's called Orange Cassidy because he had too many mimosas and tequila sunrises. He drank too many of those and he was drunk. That was the whole character was, he was a guy who was drunk and hungover when he came to the ring. Slowly through flanderization and to make it more family friendly, the character became lazy. And so now he's just the laziest man in wrestling. So he'll hit guys with weak kicks. Instead of climbing to the top turnbuckle and throwing his fist up, he stands, he puts one foot on the lowest turnbuckle and like half raises it. And the crowd's into it. Like that's the whole thing. And so like the crowd's into the fact that he's very lazy. And then randomly he will try. And when he tries, he turns into this amazing wrestler. That's fantastic. But Bob he's like watching, a silent Bob where it's like, you know, yes, it's hundred percent. He's a silent Bob, it's, yeah, it's it's but he, he always saves his chasing Amy moment. Yes, <laughs> he has to tell yeah. the chasing Amy story. So he, it, that's the thing. And, and this character, because of how ridiculous this is, I find he's a better on-ramp for people to watch wrestling because they get over the whole, Oh, you think this is real? Because as you watch him lightly tap someone with his foot, as people are true, the crowd goes, oh, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. like it's murder. And everyone, like even the rest of the stand there, like, what are you, what are you doing? Like you're, you're making a mockery out of this. Like it lets you in on the joke, which is what begins to happen with Lethal Weapon 2. Yeah. And I want to, and, and I want to make this clear because the first Lethal Weapon opens with titties, cocaine, and suicide. The first Lethal Weapon definitely play, takes itself seriously to a degree. To a, to, to a degree, a little bit. It, 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 it gets more and more crazy. They find comedy adheres, in the in-between moments. It adheres it, to, to a its own internal logic. Yes. As a, like, like, even though its own internal logic is a little bit fantastical, it's definitely in the real world. That is uh, completely abandoned by four, but they're definitely jumping ship in two. Yeah, for yes. sure. So in two, right? Two, the entire purpose of two, what is the, I, 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 the first note I have is actually written, I wrote at two minutes, 48 seconds. So I don't remember why they're initially chasing these guys. Why are they chasing guys at the beginning of this? So I don't remember why they're chasing guys at the beginning of this, but I do have a note that says, if you pay real close attention, they don't like everything that happens in this movie is the fault of Riggs and Murtaugh. Yes. And so the question is what's worse a tank full of heroin gets into America or Riggs and Murtaugh. And by the end of two, that's actually for me, a tough distinction to make as to which one is a, is a net worse for society. Because yeah. like, yeah, you're stopping an influx of, of heroin. Okay. That's by 80 standards. Good. But by the end, you're like, at what cost, at what yeah. cost do we have to get here? Like, this is really fucking crazy. So, so the first movie has very, very good ag- action. And again, this is a, Lethal Weapon 2 was a movie I saw repeatedly because of HBO. I'll say it, 2 um, is hands down my favorite. It, I, I think it is too. And yeah. I don't know if that is because I saw it so much as a kid. So I, I, 
there's yeah. moments I recognize or because it actually is better. I think it, it's a little bit of the, a mix of the well, two. It's a mix because I have nostalgia for it, but it was also so informative to my tastes that yes. now retroactive, like that's how Temple of Doom became my favorite Indiana Jones because that's the one I had on tape. Gotcha. And it influenced my taste so much that even though I watch them and they're all fantastic, that one stands out because I go, this is the kind of shit I grew to like. And so it's kind of like a, it's a feedback so, loop almost. Did you notice, because I knew what two was about, did you notice in the first one, the building of the Lethal Weapon cinematic universe? How, how so? So there's a, there's a shot in Murtaugh's kitchen. And on the fridge, there is a free oh, Mandela yes. sticker. There's a different activist stick, sticker in every movie. Yeah, but yeah. there's a free Mandela sticker, specifically because his kids are like, end apartheid. And he's like, yeah, obviously, end apartheid. I'm... I'm a black man in LA, like a part of that. Is that the first one, second or third one where they actually go? It's the second one, yeah, where where Murtaugh goes to the South African yeah, because uh, the diplomacy second one is office. Them, no, no, but, but that's yeah. the thing. This, this is much like in the Marvel Cinematic Universe where they're like, you're watching a Spider-Man movie, right? And somewhere in there, you see the drip of black goo that lets you know Venom exists. Yeah, yeah. They're like, just to be clear, we could do anything we want in our, in our cinematic universe. Apartheid still exists, but not only that, Riggs and Murtaugh will end it in Lethal Weapon 2. Yeah. They will end, they will free Mandela. And oh my so, God. Some uh, Rocky Four oh, shit. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. I cannot tell you how I, I know for a fact that every pro- Hollywood producer was so fucking upset that Apartheid ended after Lethal Weapon 2 came out. Yeah. Because they do it, they make the Afrikaner Apartheid government, the whites government, the Apartheid government of South Africa, straight up they're like no they're just nazis yeah. they're just straight up we're okay like to so, the point to the point where note. the bad guy is standing in front of a giant nazi-esque eagle that is not a symbol of south africa yeah they're just straight they're like they're like give them accents they're like an africana accent but is slightly it's, different oh, it's than a german nothing accent nothing like a german accent but Riggs very very regularly makes jokes about hitler Goebbels yeah. talks about how they're Aryans and all that, which yeah, he just for straight up- real real world events that we learn about later in life uh, is funny to look back at ironically, but it's also hilarious because it's like, okay, he's trying to compare these guys to Germans in, in the Holocaust and stuff. Like, yeah. It's either Riggs is trying to make a comparison and say these guys are no better or Riggs is such a fucking racist that he doesn't know the difference between South Africans and Germans. And I don't know which it is by the end of the I, movie. I'm going to go with the second one. I think um, it might because, be the second one. No, it's 100% the second one. It's 100% the second one, okay? He doesn't give a fuck. If he cared, he wouldn't bang the, the South African consulate secretary. Yeah, that's true. He doesn't do it for information. We want to be clear about that. He just wants to fuck her. Well, okay. it's, so, she wait, exists wait. just to give him stakes because yes. they do that shitty retcon where the South Africans go, oh, by the way, we caused the car accident that killed your wife. They pull yes. a Sandman in Spider-Man 3 where he's like, oh, I'm actually the one, me, yeah. Lowell Mather from Wings. I killed Uncle Ben. So back, back to comparing this to my Orange Cassidy thing I said earlier about the ridiculousness of this. This movie sets it up very fast in that, that, that chase at the very beginning. And I think the chase is actually Riggs and Murtaugh are chasing South Africans who are like, they, they're, they think they're transporting something or they're trying to, it's just like a traffic stop that goes crazy. Wait, no, is this the one that starts on the, oh no, the boat is the fourth one. Yeah, never mind. The boat's the fourth one. That's the, fourth, that the, yeah, that's the, the boat. boat. Yeah, because this is like, they're driving there, on the yeah. highway. So they're chasing, the cops are chasing a these guys. And 
I have a note here that just says at two minutes and 48 seconds, the second cop hits a camper trailer that's being dragged. So it was like a fifth wheel camper trailer that's being dragged by a truck in pursuit. The trailer is just, again, a fifth wheel. This does not have a gas tank in it. I don't think these are the type that have like a It's a box on wheels, yeah. It's a box on wheels. And even if it has a kitchen in it, it's a fucking grill kerosene, which is not going to explode the way that this thing explodes. This thing fucking explodes. I have never, this trailer had to be packed with more C4 than humanly possible. It explodes into a massive fireball. There then is there's then a hard cut to the cop car that just drove through the exploding trailer. The cop car is now parked at an angle. The doors are open to make it, and they show it to you just a beat long enough to let you know the cops got out. It's sitting there, nothing. Then the cop car explodes. It is very similar to the joke from like Family Guy where they'd show like a horse-drawn carriage. Oh yeah, off a cliff, and then it explodes, and then yeah. the carriage explodes, and then the horse looks at the carriage, and then the horse explodes. It Watch, is- for that reason, watching Lethal Weapon two, I had, and I have a note here. I had the thought that was just like this: make watching this now makes Last Action Hero that much more brilliant mm-hmm. because it is Shane Black commenting directly on what the trend he inspired became so fast yeah. you know like what it morphed into so quickly and he's able to parody because that's a big thing in in last action heroes that you know explosions happen willy-nilly they only hurt mm-hmm. the people who it's designed to hurt you yep. know uh, what was the line you know jack tar actually sticks to some people you know yeah. things like that yeah well it's, it's up there like with gi joe like when you if you go back and watch the old gi joe 80s cartoon no one actually dies yeah. um everyone even the bad guys when the bad guy's plane get blown out of the sky, you always see them parachute at the last second. Yeah, and Destro, lethal, you idiot! Yeah, and Lethal Weapon tries to, if, if bad guys will die left, left and right. Yeah. But good guys, especially cops, they don't let the cops die willy-nilly. They try to go out of their way to show you, uh, or at least hint at it, that they until, get away. Unless, unless until the important. big part where they killed all of the cops. Yes. Up to and uh, including Hank Schrader from Breaking Bad. <laughs> Did you see him? He's one of yeah. the cops throughout the yeah. whole movie, a young Hank Schrader. So um, the other thing they lean into with this one is the other thing with Lead the Weapon movies is they have to lean in a fundamental misunderstanding of something that isn't hard to understand. Um, in this case, it's <laughs> it's diplomatic immunity. Yes. Um, they yeah. do not understand. So yeah. the, the part that they want to make clear in this movie is that- I have diplomatic is, immunity. Yeah, but you he says- You couldn't give me a parking ticket. Yeah. Says, which, which the, is not says true. Uh, Gordon Bombay's not, friend from Mighty yeah, Ducks. Which is not true. It's not you true. can give you them a parking ticket. Well, that you we just file, that's you, filed under the whole, if you're an undercover cop, you have to tell me where it's cinematic logic, mm-hmm, but it's not yeah. real world logic at all. But, but the thing is, is you can give them a parking ticket. You can't enforce it. Yeah. You can hold someone with diplomatic immunity until the consulate or their governments get involved yeah. and then have to release them. At any point in time during this, they could have stopped and held these guys for a certain amount of time, thrown up some red tape, done something to pause the actions of these South Africans who are trying to launder money through LA, which mind you, is on the opposite side of the country from South Africa. 
Yeah. They had to go around. Oh, yeah. There was like a like, whole cape. There's a whole, yeah. like, why? If you're going to do this, if you're like, oh, we're going to, we're going to launder South African Krugerit or whatever the gold, we're going to uh, launder Kruger it through America. Kruger yeah, Krugerit. We're going to, we're going to launder this through America. Okay. Are we going to take it to Miami, the closest American port? Absolutely not. We're going to go to LA. Like, it makes no sense. It's like, ridiculous. Well, that's the by, thing. By is the, weapon the plot board, of this. There really is no re- like There's the none. only none. reason that Riggs and Murta are involved is because, because they, they get involved in this initial chase. Yeah, they well they get their bug up a bug up their ass about this guy. Yeah, you know, and because it, the guy it's not tells so much later until well, because the, the we find says, out the retcon. Yeah, because again, bureaucracy. The guy yeah. says bureaucracy says you can't touch me, and they're like, we will yeah. find a way that we can shoot your diplomatic. Riggs is like, you seriously underestimate my ability to roll like a log under doors that are slowly closing because that's one of my superpowers. And I'm going to take you down, sir. He does that a lot in this movie. So, so, so the, the, the part that really fucking gets me with this is throughout the movie, they are not trying to end apartheid. They're upset that an apartheid government is doing anything in America but also not making it clear that the U.S. government is completely fine with that. Yeah. Um, and that, in fact, if a local LAPD officer had gotten disinvolved with the Afrikaner apartheid government consulate, that the federal government would have arrested Riggs and Murtaugh. Mm-hmm. I want to be clear that the Afrikaner apartheid government were allies of Ronald Reagan. He was openly supporting them. We had to, as a people... The United States, uh, American populace, had to openly and repeatedly come out against South Africa, against Rhodesia, against the apartheid governments. We had to have so many fucking songs by Paul Simon and other people (laughs) had to release all these Africanized albums to move this slowly, slowly over the entire To prod that needle. To prod that needle. Because again, there's the entire Cold War being involved with this. All these different things. They were our Cold War allies because we were afraid of different African governments going towards communism and all these different, and the third way and all these different things. There was so much involved in 80s, 70s and 80s politics before we get to this moment. And all it really comes down to is Murtaugh is being like, you guys are fucking racist. Riggs has to be like, you guys murdered that hot piece of tail. Yeah. Like that's, Riggs actually- And ultimately my wife. Yeah. As we learn. As we learn. But Riggs really doesn't give a shit about the racism. Like, for the most part, it has to really all fall on Murtaugh. And involving this racism, we have to get to to me, as a Jew, the biggest key of them all, which is the introduction of Leo Getz for the first of three movies. Wait, can I say one thing before we get to Leo? Sure. There's There's a character that's introduced as an extremely minor character who comes back again, I believe, in both part three and four the construction worker who for some fucking reason watches murtaugh's daughter's condom commercial with the family <laughs> the, const- other movies? the construction worker who introduces him to Chekhov's nail gun oh yeah 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 no that's um what is he he's in the tunnel he's, shit, he's a guy yeah and yeah, so he's he an actor up, he's a character actor and so when they all sit down to watch Rianne's commercial which then embarrassingly to nobody it's a condom commercial. Is a yeah. condom commercial uh which leads to uh Riggs making tons of condom puns such as oh that went in one ear and out the rubber which Riggs is terrible at puns like that um especially like uh the surfboard death in this he just says wipe out 
So, are you so, fucking kidding me? But yeah, so the construction worker does return, I believe, in both three and four as construction worker who now has a career doing repairs on Riggs's, I'm sorry, on Murtaugh's house as well as Murtaugh's wife's car because that's yes. a, now a running gag as those always get destroyed. Yeah, something always gets destroyed that's really his wife's and he's going to get in trouble for it because boomers have to hate their spouse. I actually just finally started looking at my notes for Lethal Weapon. Uh, for, for Lethal Weapon 2. And I have written here, uh, one, I also call it Chekhov's Nail Gun. Uh, but you mentioned earlier about the activism um, and the big activism that's being pushed in Lethal Weapon 2 is Dolphin Safe Tuna. And I made Dolphin a note tuna. that <laughs> I haven't given a shit about Dolphin Safe Tuna in years, even though I was a part of, in the early 90s, a Dolphin Safe Tuna protest. We went to DC. Ah. Uh, my teacher was fired for that um, because she, she took public school kids and made us into little activists. Um, I also have a note here that says oh, the South African boss and his hitman have very much a first order from Star Wars. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of just like, I am the bad guy. And the guy's like, yeah, sure. I'm a fucking mercenary. I've been I think, hurt my own God to prove to you how much I am a bad guy. They always Yeah, because he shoots him. Yeah, shoot, he shoots yeah. a guy. Uh, because the guy's like, oh, it's in front of the fish. I have murderous piranhas. Look how yeah. evil I am. All right, Dr. Evil. Um, um, we also, we get introduced to Chekhov's trick shoulder in this. Uh, one of yes. one of Riggs' superpowers is that he can dislocate his shoulder and it allows him to get out of any situation at all. You just throw yeah. that shoulder in. But the one thing we know about it is that it only kind of hurts to dislocate, but it really hurts to put back in. Yes. We learned that in this. That's the rule of his trick shoulder. Um, we also, in this movie, um, I have a few notes here once we got to the Afrikaners. Um, I even have a note about the diplomatic movie. Movie, You just can't take him to trial. You can give him a ticket. You can't yeah. take him to trial. Can't take him to trial. You can rip the ticket up in front of you. You can't do here's, anything about here's that. Here's a note but... for you. The diving board death? Yeah. That's fucking insane. Do you remember that? that? Oh, yeah, that's right. Because they, they proceed to start insane. killing every cop. They kill every that cop died. in a different way. But Her also, body, end over end, end over end. And it's a stunt woman. And it's a real explosion. That is some primo, like, oh, Marona. That is how, yeah. that's how it's done. That's a very good death. Very um, good death. Yeah, because yeah, the, 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 the Hollywood directors and producers and writers, as the South African government was, because we've, we've had a big problem in America of picking an enemy. Oh, a, yeah. a, a catch all, because listen, y'all, when, when movies were invented and the Nazis came onto the scene, Chef's kiss. Yeah, it's done. top top movie villain. You need a villain, make it a Nazi. Holy shit! World War Two. We come out on the international stage fighting the Nazis. We look great. Cold War Russians. Okay, you know they got some points. It's a little but different. Look at them. Yeah. They suck. They're evil. Whatever. That was the that was the entrance of the like yeah, but they're worse than us. Yeah, they're not. They're not as good as us. Yeah, we're, we're not, not as bad as them, and we're not, not as, as bad as, as them. Us. But they're not quite Nazis. Yeah, but are you brown? Get out. Yeah, that's kind of how this is. So when we got to the 80s and as the Cold War ended, we've had a really hard time thrashing around trying to find our new our new chief foreign bad guy. Well, it, so it took till John Wick to fix it because John Wick was like, we can't make Russian mob. Have, no, kill a dog. Yeah. Yeah. It could be kill a dog. Kill a kill dog. A, it could be anybody. It but could like be the fucking in, Shriners, but if they kill the, a dog, we would go after we, them. We, but look, look at who we tried, right? We tried to do the Lebanese in the late 80s, early 90s. 
Uh, we went with Middle Eastern terrorism and through movies like True Lies, through movies like uh, Back to the Future, through a bunch of different stuff, running up to 9-11. And then we were like, holy shit, we're actually kind of gassing this too hard. And now people are getting super racist about it. So we've tried to dial back on that a little bit. Mm -hmm. We tried to pick the North, of North Koreans in quite a few movies. Does not work. They're not scary to us. Yeah. They might be scary a little bit if you were in Korea at the DMZ, but like they're yeah. not scary. So like the South and, Africans- And now our go-to bad guy would be China, except for the fact that our that chief want. export for movies is to China. China, exactly. Yeah, so they're out. And also again, because we're becoming, we're becoming more international, we're becoming more aware. And we're actually, because of the internet, we're able now to have more people of different backgrounds who don't look like Dan and I discuss movies. Mm. We start to realize, hey, maybe it's not a great idea to have all of the bad guys be brown terrorists. Hey, yeah. maybe it's not a good idea to put to point out that the only Asians in our movie are all, you know, Chinese communists. Oh, they're all North Koreans. You know, like we want to have the movies we want to diverse and also have them lean in more. So like. That's, you know, having South Africans, specifically Afrikaners, part of an apartheid oppressive, like imagine that, like the way they describe it, like imagine the South on super steroids. That's how they're kind of pushing it in the movie. They never say that though, because they don't want to lose the South yeah, yeah. for the movie. So they make them Nazis because they don't mind losing German ticket sales. Yeah, yeah. And they don't mind a, losing, and they don't, and they don't give a fuck about losing South African movie ticket sales. So like, look, this movie gets banned in South Africa. Who gives a shit? More people in America will see the movie because we can push it as banned in South Africa. However, that's not the tagline they used. The tagline they used is- <laughs> Magic the if it ma was. <laughs> yeah, the tagline they used is, the magic is back, lethal weapon two. Oh, baby. Um, but, um, another but, thing I noticed was, uh, have you noticed that uh, in this movie, they, they did a lot of ADR work, which is where they add audio where it wasn't. And oh, the, yeah, because someone's back is turned to you so they can yes. change the line. There's the a most lot of punch-ups happening. The There's most egregious one is uh, after the helicopter comes and blows up uh, Riggs' uh, beachfront property that has the awesome doggy door. Um, but after they do that, he sneaks up behind one of the killers and snaps his neck. But before he does, they ADR'd a, hey, Mo! Because he loves the Three Stooges. Because <laughs> yeah, he, he drops a couple hey, Mo's yeah, in there yeah. because Riggs is very bad at puns and tends to take them one line too far. And uh, they threw in a hey, Mo, I guess, to make it funnier. And maybe it yeah. was at the time, but uh, yeah. So back to the hot, to the hot, um, to the yeah. hot fascist who works at the consulate. Oh, we got to talk it, about some Leo too. Yeah, we, oh yeah, we'll get the Leo in a second. The hot fascist who gets to the consulate, they completely, this movie today would be ripped apart because she makes it quite clear. She's like, yeah, you know, I don't like what my government is doing, but it's a free trip to LA. It's like, yeah, dude, yeah, yeah. no, no. A, like, imagine- A free trip to LA where she is quite literally bullied into sex by Riggs. Yes. Like um, the guy who's also, saving her is no worse than, is no better than the guy no, who's, who's- not at all. Who has purchased but, her or whatever but, it is. <laughs> but by him bullying her into sex, we finally get to see Riggs's home, which oh, is a yeah. trailer on the beach. And is Riggs's like, buns. Yeah, not, and, the 80s and 90s were big on showing buns to the yeah, ladies. They were like, Here, and I think by Lethal Weapon 2, we are two for two on Riggs dropping yes. some buns. Yeah, he drops trout, shows us some butt, shows us his dog, 
Yep. Um, which um, this is the moment I have signed to reveal to you. So I got a dog three weeks ago. I know. So, I saw the pictures. Um, so while the dog is not the same breed as uh, Riggs's dog, um, the dog is virtually the same coloration and hair type. He is a mix like, uh, and like, I'm sitting there and like, I'm playing with the dog. Doing this. I was just sitting in the backyard the one day feeling very suicidal playing with my dog. And I realized I'm like, wait, did I get Riggs's dog? Like, like did I somehow <laughs> go? Cause I went to the pound a couple of times. It was looking at different dogs and all like that. And I saw this one. I was like, I have to have this dog. And I could not figure out why. And I'm like, I think it's because I needed to have Riggs's dog. You're a regular old Martin Riggs. Oh, look at me. Um, Back to my notes so, here. Okay. 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 okay let's okay, talk about okay. Leo. Let's talk, about, talk about Leo. Leo okay. Okay. Now okay, first, okay, okay. first things first, I will say this. Whatever weird things we want to say about his character, I think it is very much worth noting at the at the at the gate here. Joe Pesci does a really really good job being funny. Yes, he's ve- It's a crazy performance in service of one of the most ridiculous and nonsensical characters ever. But so, Pesci is great. So he's great. So I when I'm reading through about this, originally Leo gets. Joe Pesci's character was supposed to be like a nothing character. He was like three lines in the movie, but they expanded on it. And, and once they got Joe Pesci involved and um, here's the part that really gets me. That this, really what? That really what's that, you? That really gets me. That really what? That really Leo gets me. There you go. Um, <laughs> Cause whatever you want. Yeah. Leo gets, get it, get it. Okay. Uh, okay. 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 Uh, okay. Is that, is that really a joke he says? He, he says it all the time. He's always like, yeah, Leo, Leo gets, you know, anything you want. Leo gets, get it? Okay, okay, you get it, get it? All right. So as I was watching this movie, when I was a kid, I was watching movie, I never picked up. By the way, Joe Pesci and Lethal Weapon is the only thing that my father has ever found funny. Really? It's the only thing. The only thing that's funny to my dad is Joe Pesci in Lethal Weapon and Joe Pesci in Goodfellas. That's it, that's the only thing. What about your Temper Peter Mattress joke? Did he find that funny? Did you tell him that? Probably not. If if my dad sees me express anything with any sort of passion, that's yeah. like, that's, that's so wildly emasculating to have any sort of emotion towards anything that he mm-hmm. can't even fathom it. So he has no opinions of the Tempur-Pedic mattress. This, this seems more like a, a conversation we should have on the Them Boys podcast. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, so back to Leo Getz. And this is probably something also that the conversation is more Them Boys <laughs> podcast. Okay. Okay. Oh, okay. 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 So okay. I, they fuck you at the drive-in. Okay. So as, as we said earlier, I watched this movie a lot on HBO as a kid, and I knew of Joe Pesci from the Lethal Weapon movies. I uh, didn't really watch too much of the <laughs> you other You didn't watch movies. Home Alone? Well, I mean, I knew him from Home Alone, stuff, but I yeah. didn't really put together, and I never heard the character's name, Leo Getz. Yeah. And I never really noticed the first time when I watched this movie at like 10 or 11 years old that he was an accountant for the mob, right? So it never dawned on me. It just never dawned on me. And that in Joe the text Pesci's of the movie, character. he actually teaches you how to properly and effectively launder money. His yes. description of that process is yes. an actual step-by-step, pretty accurate. Which if, as someone by the way, to, yeah. which as someone who works at a bank, they actually teach you how to launder money so you can notice how money is laundered. Nice. Um, so he is accurate. It is, it is they you go through, you know, things like this, like, hey, this is what money laundering looks like. Much like kind of the way Dare would teach you, like, hey, you know, if you see someone doing the following five actions, that's how they're doing drugs. Yeah, like, you just taught me how to cook heroin, dude. There's um, um in um uh, during Prohibition, 
do you remember those things that used to get in the freezer that was like a brick of grape juice that you just throw in a pitcher yeah. and add water? Yeah. During prohibition, a lot of those had a label that said, do not put this in a jug at this temperature with no light or else it could accidentally ferment into wine. Do not do that. And it was essentially the company <laughs> like, just being like, you can't get wine. We can get you wine, but just be fucking cool. Or or like going to a, going to a pipe store back in the day and be like, yeah. it rhymes with soul or song. Don't yeah. say it. Um, the uh, RIP Wonderland, yeah. RIP. Um, so Leo gets, uh, I okay. never one never realized when I was a kid watching this, I was just looked at it. And I said, That's Joe Pesci, yeah. I didn't know that his job was mob accountant, I didn't know his character's name was Leo Getz. And it wasn't until I was watching the movie that I texted you, I said, Holy shit, is Joe Pesci playing a Jew? And it is quite clear to me, and through the producers of this and everything else, that I was like. Like, well, he's mob accountant. And I'm like, well, Getz is like a German Jewish name. And, but like, why wouldn't they just have him play an Italian? And I'm like, cause this, this series is so racist, right? Oh, so you that, want that Leo Getz pun. Yeah, you well, it. you want the, you, you need the Leo Getz pun. But also this series is so racist that they're like, no, no, no. The mob accountant would still be a Jew. The mob isn't going to trust an Italian to cook the books. They need to have a good Jew who can cook these books. Because, you know, Jews, they're shifty. They're good at math. Um, we can kill them if we need to get rid of them for evidence. Like, that's their view of it. And I was like, holy shit. And then knowing, you know, Mel Gibson's thoughts on Jews, he definitely can't <laughs> have a real Jew in the movie. So, like, it gets... Oh, yeah, I Googled it. And yeah. I, and I juggled it. Joe yeah. Pesci is not Jewish at all. Joe Pesci is not Jewish at no. all. I don't Joe think Pesci he's then proceeds to play... If like this, this is a Jew face role. He is super annoying. Super annoying. Super duper annoying. Okay. 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 He is just like, doesn't understand anything. Cuts people off constantly. Cares about been, value. Cares about value. Is uh, constantly telling people like how to save money, how to launder money, how to not pay taxes, how to, how to, <laughs> like he's haggling with people all the time like oh, and he's always in a new scheme he goes from laundering money scheme. to realtor to this, uh i forget what he does in like, the fourth one this feels oh, like he's a, he a private investigator this feels like leo gets especially when he's first introduced feels like if you went to someone in alabama and said what do jews do he would just describe joe pesci and lethal weapon he would literally start by being like hmm, okay Okay, 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 okay. Yeah, but legit, like, and here's the thing. It, it opened up a new thing, another thing in my mind, which is Italians playing other races, which is another thing that would happen a lot. So if you go back and watch old Westerns, oh, yeah. they wouldn't hire actual Native Americans. No, it would just all, be Italians. They're all the Italians the, at Red the Face. The teardrop, uh, the teardrop uh, Native yeah. American guy from the commercial, that guy's yeah. Italian. Yeah, the guy who's, who's, who's crying, he has a single tear because people are littering. That's an mm. Italian man in red face. Spaghetti so, Westerns are based entirely upon Italians playing white people, Mexican people, and Native Americans. Yes. 100%. That's the whole thing. It's just, then, it's just a then series the term of itself, Spaghetti Western, is another issue. Yeah. But it's just a series of Italians in different color makeup. So, yeah. So, so having, having Joe Pesci, an Italian-American, playing a Jewish accountant who is super annoying, who, through all the rest of these movies, Riggs and Murtaugh try to basically have murdered on oh, yeah. multiple occasions. They keep walking I have a note into here. situations. I said, it's fucked up when Riggs yanks Leo's broken nose. Yeah. He just grabs it and he yanks it. I'm like, that's fucked up. 
Yeah, that's oh, horrifying. Wait, wait. So you mean to tell me that when Mel Gibson's character is angry at this Jewish accountant, grabs him by reaches, the nose. Yeah. <laughs> I'm dead serious. Like, dude, the, the ah! here is so fucking nuts. Like, this is the only person who doesn't wouldn't find this offensive today is probably J.K. Rowling and her goblins, right? Like, that's the only other person. Oh, yeah. Those goblins are regrettable. So let me go into some other no- no- notes I have in here real quick. I'm just going to read. I'm going to just rapid fire off some notes. Um, this this music means we've hit the. Uh, oh, my God. Really? Yeah, we've so hit much the- more. There's well, so much more. The music will be cued, and now just let's each rattle off the unfinished notes, and then we're going to take a pee break and then move to three. Okay, gotcha. Because I feel so, pretty good about our timing. Um, so the whole thing, and this one actually begins also um, the idea of Murtaugh being bothered in the bathroom. Um, yes. So Murtaugh tries, goes home to take a shit, and they plant a bomb under the toilet, which, honestly, um, if you're trying to kill Murtaugh, not great. Uh, number one, that house is huge. We don't know how many bathrooms it has. Uh, but number two, his wife could also use that toilet and more likely would be the one to sit down. Um, yeah, that's true. Anybody that, can use and, it. And the bomb suppression blanket is clearly a moving blanket. Um, if you try to, there at the moment when they do the protest where Murtaugh and uh, Leo Getz go into the South, uh, South, South African uh, consulate and uh, do a lobby protest, if you were to try to do that in a modern fascist consulate, they'll just bone saw you. hey yeah. <laughs> I throw uh, my pencil through a window. I have a note uh, at the end of my notes for four, which is, wow, Riggs's family, uh, sorry, Murtaugh's family really does like to interrupt him while he's naked and in a bathtub. I have the same one, dude. Because whole, they do it constantly. constantly. Yes, he when he's on the toilet about to get blown up, yes, he, he acts all embarrassed, like, oh, don't catch me while I'm indisposed. But if it's Father's Day, Retirement Day, Birthday, or Thursday, his family will just always bring his naked ass a cake in the tub. And he's like, hey, yep. everybody, that's that's a little much. So there's a moment following that with the whole protest thing um, where they go through the whole thing where uh you know danny glover is like yeah you know joe pesci you know clearly a jew telling the south african government that his friend wants to move to yeah uh you know to to south africa and then being a black man it's actually a very funny moment but then it is really funny Mel Gibson, especially because he's like that's what i told him i told him he's black I, I, I told I, him, I told him. <laughs> yeah he's like Wait, sir you're black he's like oh and he's, he's like, you tell him i tried that's why we're here <laughs> but mel gibson has a moment and you could tell and i just wrote the following note Mel Gibson just loves telling a room full of Africans to get out of his country. I just, cause he does. He looks at all these South Africans and he's like, African and he's racist. Like get out of my country. And I'm like, I'm like, they're still Africans. I want to be clear about this, Mel. While we're um, quoting uh, Murta, I have a note here after, I'm uh, sorry, Riggs, after we find out that Riggs's wife was killed by, by this, uh, this cabal of South Africans, he says to he says to Murtaugh, he's all he's blind with rage, and he says, "I'm not a cop tonight, Roger. It's personal now, and I'm not a cop. I'm gonna get yeah. those bastards, Roger. I'm gonna get them and fuck them." <laughs> I have it here. That's a hell of a line. He doesn't um, say I'm gonna fucking up, fuck them up. I'm not gonna kill them. I am going to fuck. I'm going to penetrate them with my dick. That yep. is what he threatens to do. Uh, I have a couple notes here. Uh, one is like, so is Leo no longer the target anymore? No one gives a shit about Leo. Next line. Hey, welcome back to being the target, Leo. Uh, <laughs> next one is just, hell yeah, Chekhov's nail gun. Uh, pretty sure this and Happy Gilmore are how I learned about nail guns. <laughs> Yo, I think so, yes. I think yes. I didn't know what they were until that moment. Um, I wrote the next line, uh, congrats, a hot apartheid enabler. 
Yeah. Uh, because of this attempted murder, you can now ask for asylum. <laughs> you don't have to work for the government anymore. Um, also, also this the, the the fact they had to use the helicopters. Like today, we'd just use drones if you yeah. were going to do the the beach murder where they're blowing up his house. But also the fact they're like, we got to kill this guy at his house. What are we going to do the black guy? Plant a bomb. What are we going to do the white guy? We're going to use two helicopters and yeah. more ammo than you've ever imagined. But don't worry, secret dog door saves them. Um, Which, have wrote, you ever seen National Lampoon's Loaded Weapon 1? No. There's a National Lampoon's parody of Lethal Weapon called Loaded Weapon 1, starring Emilio Estevez and Sam Jackson. Okay, I And there's that. a scene where they parody exactly the the uh you know uh, his uh trailer getting blown up on the beach where uh emilio estevez lives in a trailer on the beach and then same thing happens where they blow up the the house they shoot it with machine guns but then out of the wreckage stands up bruce willis for no reason with like a a, a, a white flag yeah and like but and the, the helicopter's like is this 1346 ocean drive <laughs> and he's like no this is 1348 Ocean Drive. And they're like, oh, sorry. And he goes, yeah, yeah, no problem. No fucking problem. <laughs> it's, it's so good. That's so good. It's actually a pretty underrated, like, Naked Gun-esque parody for, for what it's worth. Uh, next couple lines I have here. Chekhov's dislocated shoulder. There you go. Chekhov's dead Nazi girlfriend. Always. How do you not hear the loudest, wettest man in America? <laughs> <laughs> I mean... I mean, I mean, sure, they're racist, fascist, set of terrorists, but they killed a fuckable blonde. Now it's on. Um, and, and then once we got into the whole port scene, um, that is completely out of LAPD. They're completely out yeah. of their jurisdiction. We want to make that clear. Uh, this but is God damn it, they get the job done. Code authority. Um, but I, when they're going through the, 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 the shipping containers and they, sh- they quietly shoot the locks off. Also a Shane Black special. Shane Black, Joel Silver, uh, 1980s action movie. Uh, hell, even the end of The Transporter. You will always get to the shipping yard. And uh, Dan, uh, because of uh, things, I know you know this isn't how shipping containers works. I know you know. I will and say also, this, also, what I know about shipping containers, yeah. it is a pretty bitchin' place to have an action movie. It is a great, it is great, but, but, but the other thing though is- Do you is, know how much freight gets lost? Yeah, Do you know, it's fucking believable. But, but that's the next line I have right here, <laughs> Dan. I want you personally to imagine having to fill out this incident report because your cargo was involved in a shootout. It's not even incident reports. So people are listening to this. My day job is in shipping. The and problem logistics. is, is that when one little piece of paperwork is off. That goes all the way down the chain. That's why if there's a tiny delay, you see supply chain issues radiate like a web out from that thing. If an action sequence ever happened at a shipping yard, that web of of difficulties and supply chain upset would be bigger than anything COVID could have produced. It is, it would be, it would be game changing. That said, if in terms of the, the, the vacuum of just that port, if an action sequence happened, sequence happened, that port would be back in operating order within 25 minutes because that shit is on lock. Yeah, it's a fascinating they world. They have yeah. to. Yeah, if if LA port was to shut down, I need you guys to know there would be less of your grocery store than there is now. Yeah. Um, I have a next note here. The voiceover of all the dead cops' names while shooting that one guy was the most tasteless ADR in the entire movie. Yep. 
Oh, yeah. Cause that, that you were talking about the ADR earlier. Cause he's just like, he, he names each cop with each bullet as he's shooting yeah. the German mercenary. Um, and also they do a lot of plot development, especially in the sequels where they go, let's drive somewhere. And then they show the car pulling up. And then there's just a clear ADR voiceover of either Riggs or Murtaugh explaining to the other one, the plot up until that point. Um, like, so well, just, they'll I, be pulling up to a place and they'll be like, well, it's a good thing we did that, Riggs, because now we can check out this place. But we don't see them. We just see the car driving. That's like a device that's used a lot, a lot. I have five more notes left. Uh, first okay. one, for the final diplomatic immunity said by uh, the evil uh, South African Nazi, when he holds up, he holds up his like passport and just goes, oh. diplomatic immunity. Um, he's, screaming. That, he's, yeah, he's screaming. He's just screaming diplomatic immunity and madness. Yeah. Um, that is the late 80s version of the Palpatine meme of him saying, do it, do it. Like, yeah. That is the same thing. And that's where Riggs, I'm sorry, where Murtaugh, I keep fucking them up for some reason, where yeah. Murtaugh uses his superpower because before he cracks delivers his, his big line, he cracks his neck and then shoots him. Shoot. Yep. No, and do you remember course, the line? No, what's the line? It's the most famous line in the whole series. The guy's like, diplomatic oh, yeah. immunity. Then revoked. Boom. It's just been revoked. revoked. Yeah, that's it's right. So I forgot. That's, that that's is a great a, line. That's, that's a good line. The line yeah. of the series. Of the, of the entire series. Um, I had subtitles on because I watch all movies with subtitles. I've and, um, been getting more into doing that. Um, by doing that, I discovered that when Riggs was laying on the ground, bleeding out, you know, from having being shot multiple times and having his shoulder dislocated, all this stuff. Um, it's very subtle. I don't know if you even noticed it that they were playing "Knocking on Heaven Door," Heaven's yep. Door. Oh, the soundtrack um, in this is spot on. We didn't even yeah. mention that the Lethal Weapon closing credits has an original song called "Lethal Weapon" that yeah. sings about Lethal Weapon. Yeah, it's and Lethal insane. Weapon Two. Lethal As Weapon Two when Freddy it closed. Movie. Yeah, Lethal Weapon Two when it closes, it's a George Harrison song. Yes, it is a George Harrison song, and I just wrote, "What the fuck happened to Peace and Love, George?" Yeah. Um, it is it is a George Harrison song because like late 80s George Harrison was everywhere. And the absolute last note I have, because I watched this on HBO Max, um, under the more like this trends, it said, if you like this, you will also like Mississippi Burning. Oh well, yeah, you know what? I actually could see the connective tissue. Yeah, I can see there. the connective. Like, holy shit. No, it's like you, I might, was like, need a, you might need a lesson. After yeah. This. <laughs> but I was like, you know who wouldn't want to watch Mississippi Burning? Mel Gibson. Yeah. Um like, like if you liked this, we just got birth of a nation. You're like, oh, okay. You know, okay. All right. DW Griffith, huh? He, I hear he's a regular dick donner. Um, leave the weapon too, but these first two were a delight to watch. Everything after this becomes a horrifying uh, thing. And I it think- It devolves into self-parody. I think we should, I think we probably should cut it into two episodes here. I believe that we've gone deep enough. If we can definitely to. do that. It's up to you. I have another hour in me if you want to bang out three and four. Oh yeah, no, I think it's up to the listener at this point of how you want the listener to hear it. Should you cut it here and save the next the three and four for the next week? Or however you do for your release schedule, right. or do you want? Are to you down to record one? the rest today? I'm totally down to record. Okay. I'm, I'm down to record the. I want to go pee. So I want to go pee too. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna yeah. call this the end of the episode. So yeah. listeners, that's the end of this episode. We will be back uh, in two weeks with the conclusion with part three and four that we're actually gonna know about for the next two weeks. We're gonna know everything that we talked about, but you aren't. So you're just going to have to sit and wonder, even though it's not happening in real what, time to you, it's happening in real time this, to us. When's this first episode being released? This Either, will be released uh, tomorrow. So tomorrow. on okay. January 30th. Okay, cool. And so the next episode, so I can still plug, 
I can still plug the February 16th show on the next episode. But I also yes. remind the listeners, again, for this buddy cop imagination that amazingness, please go to heliumcomedy.com, philadelphia.heliumcomedy.com. Go to that schedule. Take a look at February 16th. Go um, buy tickets and go see Helium Re- uh, Records album recording for Satoyo Live. It's going to be an amazing, amazing event. If you've enjoyed listening to us, um, if you've enjoyed hearing us discuss this, if you care at all about Dolphin Safe Tuna, if you want a free apartheid, Mandela, yeah, apartheid, any of Undertaker, these things, yeah, all of this would be involved. Lotion, Satoyo. Uh, it's right there for you. It's going to be amazing. Um, and I'll be back in two weeks uh, to explain more about this in one hour or two weeks, uh, whichever one comes first. Fair enough. Uh, the only other thing I want to say is that Lethal Weapon 2 inadvertently tells us what we all already know about the war on drugs. It's a failure that creates more criminals than the drugs ever did. But anyway, uh, my name is Dan Scully. Uh, you can check out our uh, the show at Movie Movie Cast on all of the things. Check out scullyvision.com. Check out the Movie John Podcast Network. Uh, and also check out my other podcast, Hot Property. It's at Hot Property Pod on all of the things. Alex Perlman, thank you so much for joining thank us today. Dan. Hey, hey, Dan, can I give one shout out to you real quick? I Absolutely. think your listeners should also follow you on Twitter at Dan Scully because I want to let your listeners know that Dan is probably the most level-headed person on Twitter. So whenever there's like a crazy thing goes off or people are popping off on something, like Dan just comes down in the middle. He's like, I don't, listen, it's not great, but it's not that bad. Can we talk about something else? Like it's, it's yeah, amazing. Like, please, and this I, should be for, oh, well, thank you. I, yeah. I, I seem level-headed on Twitter, but those level-headed tweets come out of me toiling and boiling oh, I know, and I know, roiling I, and raging. You know, I know, the, the I know, I know that's the ninth edit. Yeah. I know you've read that to two friends. I know you've texted it to six other people first. Oh, yeah. But that's what should be I have an app attached to my Twitter that deletes everything that's older than two weeks, every two weeks, which yeah. makes me feel a little more confident about what I tweet. But I, also at the same time, I'll tweet something in the middle of my workday. And then later that night, I'll get stoned and be like, oh, that was ill-advised. And I'll delete all but three tweets from the day. So, so I'm a total bitch. So my, uh, my Twitter, uh, I changed my name on it. My, obviously, I'm still at Alex Perlman, but you know, your subline. Yeah. I just changed mine to your NFT sucks. Um, and because uh, they do, all NFTs are awful. However, that means I'm now followed by a massive amount of NFT bots. Dude, I interacted with you on Twitter. And after I interacted with you, all of these back tweets from like a week ago of mine started getting liked by NFT bots, even though they weren't associated. I was like, why is this? I guess that's You're welcome. Why. You're welcome for Thank the you likes. very much. They well, mean nothing. They mean Ladies nothing. and gentlemen, uh, this episode is officially an NFT. Um, I've already checked with the, uh, hang on, let me look at my terms here. Blockchain, and this is an NFT, um, apes. Do you think, I don't do know how this works. Do you think in Lethal Weapon 5, do you think, do you think in Lethal Weapon 5 that uh, Mel Gibson will shoot a, a blockchain? Now that it's been out there, now that you put it out into the algorithm, he has to. Nice. That's been Movie Movie. Thanks, everybody.